Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and I have the Men of Steel with me today. We have Brian Carbon Hughes. Hey! David Tungsten Thompson. <laughs> Hello. John Stainless Hyatt. <laughs> and maybe joining us later, Kirk Chromium Greenfield. <laughs> Chromium. <laughs> well... You know, we've got a great show for you coming up today. Um, I'm, I am really, really excited. We're going to start uh, a Man of Steel retrospective. Uh, this, uh, of course, that first episode will have issues one, two, and three. And obviously the next episode that we uh, do to follow this up will be four, five, and six. May not be our next episode, but one, you know, a few weeks down. But just sitting here thinking about it as I was really excited for this because, uh, you know, while Tim and I had covered issue three way back when we first started, I think it was episode 10, we didn't cover the whole series. And I, I, I like the the format that we've got here where we're sitting there doing this uh, multiple books and not just um, doing the page by page, but more of a, of a good retrospective and pointing out the finer, finer points of it. But before we get into that, before we start looking at the books themselves, let's talk about uh, our, our history with all that. And and uh, Tim, do you do you have a a good history of it, or I mean, I I think uh, you didn't you well, come into it late. I I didn't come into it late, but I came well. I came I came into Superman with this series because ah. uh, I followed Byrne from Marvel to DC because I was reading him uh, at FF and the Hulk, and I was collecting his uh, X Men work. So when and I can't uh, as I've said, I can't remember how I found out that he was going to DC and I, I, I didn't, so I came for burn. I didn't really come because I was a Superman fan. I later became more of a, uh, a fan of the, of the character, but I came because burn was just jumping ship and going to, to DC. So I came over and I, so I bought all these off, off the rack with his work. And when he left the book, I kind of left too, which I tended to do a lot of times with artists. So when he left after his like three year run, because uh, I was also getting action at the same time, and that introduced me to a lot of characters. Because that was basically their team-up uh, book. You were getting action in college. <laughs> well, oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's off subject. <laughs> Go ahead. He came, for, he came for burn. He stayed for the action. Okay. That's right. <laughs> so I really had, other than Super Friends cartoon and the, the movies, and occasionally I would, you know, maybe see a, a comic here and there. I didn't have a lot of history with Superman. So I didn't, I didn't have a lot of the pre the pre crisis uh, continuity baggage because I had not been reading those books. So I kind of started fresh with post continuity. So for me, I guess it was easier. Well, that's I, I mean that <laughs> see for me it was completely different because all my life I mean I, and I'm sure this is for, true for you, um, but all my life Superman was always there. There was I, I didn't remember a point where I didn't know about Superman. You know, mostly because as a little boy I could watch the the adventures the new adventures of Superman, which is a series that started in '66 with the um, with Bud Collier, of course, doing the uh, voice of Clark Kent Superman. And Bud Collier, of course, you know, he did the voice of Superman even back in the '40s with the the Fleischer. Uh, Superman cartoons that they did there, those amazing uh, cartoons. But you know, he did the yeah, radio too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did the radio as well. And excuse me, I've got a dog that's getting sick right here. Um, but 
Yeah. I, I'm, he I'm, really I'm, does not like those cartoons. No, he does not like the cartoons. He is not a Superman fan, is he? <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, <laughs> that's Mugwai. Anyway, um, I think he's okay now. But, um, you know, I, it, it, there was, of course, the George Reeves series, and I didn't see the Kirk Allen stuff till, till much later, but, you know, he was always there, and I can even remember, um, now, of course, you know, per my origin story, I, I got a Batman comic when I was, like, four years old. When I was five, I remember going to a dentist office and seeing, that's where I saw my first Superman comic, and I was kind of going nuts trying to figure out which one it was, but Scott Gardner helped me out, and, um... Was it, we were able to track down that it was, and now I don't have it in front of me. Where is it? Ah, but uh, well, I was, think what I well not interrupt, but I think Superman, like certain characters, like I would say Spider Man, is a character that even if you've never read a book, you're familiar with. Probably you know who he is, and you've got a right. basic understanding of his of his background. Yeah, and I mean I remember you know seeing that like, again as a young kid in Minnesota. But I remember seeing uh, a, a an issue of Superman where there was slime all over the place and the citizens were begging Superman to help them. And I think it was issue 323, as Scott Gardner pointed out. Um, and I, you know, uh, when I was able to buy comics, and it was, I wasn't able to buy them as, as such as a, as a young boy. It was around the age of 10 when I finally started getting money and was able to, like, go down to the convenience store and other places and buy comic books on my own. And... Um, I remember buying uh, the uh, the issues of, of you know the Kurt Swan Carrie Bates and Kurt Swan issues of Superman right there in the mid seventies, mm. uh, and so I was buying those pretty much religiously when I was able to get them. Just whenever they did show up at the store, not every issue did. So I was getting action, I was getting uh, Superman, the, Superman, and then DC Comics Presents, which was a team up book. And I got to say though, that was my favorite. And of course, that's when with a Introduced Mongol and, and other ones, but you know my so I was Superman was always a part of it. But when John Byrne came on, I was completely unaware that he was coming to the book, and I was a huge Byrne fan already at that age. I was twenty years old, and they just opened up a new comic book shop down the street from where I lived uh, when I was in college. I was a sophomore in college and starting to feel my oats and everything. And I just remember going in there and seeing this standee. It was a and I think it was uh, JLGL, PBHM, um, a standee of him, but it was Burns' book there in there, both the, the two different uh, covered issues. And um, I was shocked and surprised, and I bought several. And <laughs> I read the first issue in like six minutes. Wow. Well, and, there was – does anybody oh, – sorry, Brian. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, interrupt. Oh. I was going to say, and I think I've brought this up before, there was a, uh, if anybody remembers the show 2020, the new show? Yeah. There was a, they did an interview with Stan Lee, and this would have been probably early 80s, uh, and it was like a 20-minute thing, but in that article, they talked about the difference between Marvel and DC, and, and the kind of the, the stories, and and at that time, they were kind of propping up Marvel, that Marvel had better vocabulary, and they better stories were better, and that sort of thing. Well, they mentioned this, that at the, towards the end of that uh, segment, they say that, uh, it would, that it had kind of – they talked about this as being the mar- marvelizing Superman, that John Byrne was going to reboot Superman, and they were kind of taking a Marvel approach to make him a little more grounded, a little more relatable. So I thought that was interesting that uh, even in a show about Stan Lee and Marvel, they were talking about this 
miniseries. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember them having John Byrne on, on TV, on the news when they did this. And, of course, sadly, you know, the people in the news did not give him a whole lot of of uh, respect, I'd say. I, you know, they, they treated him, they treated the comic books with derision, uh, even in the no, news programs. And even when they did the 50th anniversary, that you know, like a, a year or two later, they uh, they still you know didn't give it the uh, that what it was due. Though I did like yeah. Hal Holbrook as as Superman at 50, even though he was like 65 at the time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, well, Dave, I, well, I'll okay. say, oh, John. Well, I was gonna say, Dave said you you didn't read this. Uh, you came about this later, right? Yeah, because I would have only been what seven, six or seven. That's the right this, age. That's the superhero sweet spot. Yeah, but I didn't get to start buying comics know, until a little later. Um, so I came, to, you know, into it uh, in the in the back issue bins, you know, in the quarter and fifty cent bins. Um, which, you know, this book even today, you know, it's so plentiful. Um, you know, if you wanted to track down the whole set, you're probably looking at twenty twenty five bucks. Um, and that's how I read them. So I got to, I didn't have to have any, and there was no waiting period. You know, I just had to dig through the bins and find all the issues. Um, I really came to it though, because I started reading, you know, the, the current volume of Superman that was on the stands and then kind of went in reverse order. I think we've talked about that before, but you know, I was so, you know, into Superman at, at that point. Um, I think Dan Jurgens was writing it and it was kind of the lead up to the death of Superman but, uh, you know, just went in reverse, and it was probably one of the, the comic shop people that told me, oh, you, you know, you got to go read this, uh, you know, dig through these boxes over here. This is all Superman. So that's, that's how I came to it, and, you know, obviously really enjoyed it and could relate to, uh, you know, a story that was published, you know, seven or eight years prior at that point, because the Superman was pretty much the same. Um, as what Byrne laid out here in the miniseries. John? <laughs> Got a lot of dead air. Yeah. Are you ready for me? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> this, well, I didn't know if David was done or not. Uh, this came out while I was overseas in the military, so um, I didn't have access very well to comics. I heard about it. And was kind of interested because, you know, I heard about Crisis and the, the reboots of Wonder Woman and Superman and the line, although I was not a fan of the one Earth and the loss of Earth 2 and oh, yeah. Earth 3 and all of those things. So I was like, mm, okay, how's this? Superman was one of my favorite characters, so having John Byrne pick it up was pretty, I, I thought it would be good. And I, I liked John Byrne and I was, wasn't sure what they would do with it. I was like, how, you know, what are they going to do to make it different um, with this new scenario and stuff? I had no idea uh, exactly how much impact it would have and do. So, uh, yeah, um, I ended up picking this stuff up later, uh, like David in back issue bins, I think, and then lost the comic somehow or another. And then uh, I picked up the, uh, the man of steel trade paperback, uh, and I have that. So uh, this is the 1987 version, and uh, I'm, I've had it ever since, and I love it. I think it's a, a great, uh, a, a good combination. The only thing I don't like about the trade paperback is that they put the 
covers in the back. I don't know. They didn't even put the covers in it. There's no covers in this. Oh, yeah, they did. They're on the John Byrne introduction, but they're kind of, you know, like thumbnail size. I'm like, why didn't you just put the covers in with the story? But oh, well. Uh, But it's a great book. So, yeah. Uh, I I was okay with this, with uh, the how it went uh there's we'll talk about it in as we go along but um <laughs> there's to me, some issues superman what there's some issues yeah, no yeah. Pun intended. yeah there's some things that i'm like eh, okay but you know i realized i look back at it now and i'm like well okay you know i, I know what they were trying to do and uh but um yeah overall burn is a great superman artist i like the design and uh i, um, I like superman so this is great yeah, I would say he's probably – well, I think you've told this story before, Brian. Didn't you – for the pipe that you had carved, didn't you use Burns' image of Superman as the you – know, what you gave the guy to carve from? Yes, and um, he he failed miserably at recreating that, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I uh, took images from uh, – now, just so you guys know, um, I went to Turkey the first time in 1987 – and so we had, you know, a, a little body of work that I was able to, uh, to, to go from. And one of the things that had happened uh, before I went was uh, th- there was this guy called Comic Book John who would um, rent out the, the cheap hotel ballrooms and he would just have tons and tons and tons of long boxes for a dime. Every issue that you could find in any one of those boxes was a dime. And I would sit there and just take an empty long box with me, go to this thing, and I would fill up a long box full of comics. And I must have gotten a good six or seven uh, copies of each issue of Man of Steel from that. So I had no trouble whatsoever in carving up one issue um, of each one of those to get what I needed, not just for making that pipe, but I did a couple collages and things that I did for other people. I couldn't, I can't draw to save my life, but I can, you know, Photoshop and without a computer, you know, easily. <laughs> so, you know, I use that. And then what I, what I ultimately got back though, was not uh, a burn character, but what came out was actually kind of cool. And uh, we can, I'll put a picture up on the Facebook page. I've posted it before, but uh, I'm sure many have not seen it. And it's certainly unique. Whether you it resembles what you wanted, it's certainly a one of a kind item. Yes, it is. And, and I mean, they won't make another one. The the um, the the guys that made the pipes there, they considered that kitty stuff. And uh, you know, their their um, point of view in the world is is definitely different than than the way things are here. Uh, of course, back then, you know, even here, people would think of that as kitty stuff. But um, you know, today in today's day and age, uh, you know, there's there's no uh, issues with that. If you want to get something made like that here, now we don't we can't make Mirsham here because it's made from you know the condensed volcanic ash. You can only get Neskashir. But uh, you know that that's what makes it incredibly unique. So you know, I don't know. I've, I've talked to Weldon Adams about getting it appraised at uh, Heritage Auctions just to kind of see how much it would be valued at. But uh, I don't know. Cool. So. Well, before we get into issue one, do we want to give a brief history of kind of how this project well, but uh, before came we get about? In, before we get into that, I think it is uh, something that we should mention. It's going to bring us down just a little bit. But uh, I read earlier today that uh, colorist Andy Yankis passed away. 
And uh, if you if you guys aren't aware, Andy Yankis was a, a colorist at Marvel for 17 years. He only worked at Marvel. His first book was X-Men 104. And so he was a colorist on 108, which was Byrne's first X-Men. And he worked with Byrne exclusively on Alpha Flight and on, on his Hulk series, um, amongst some other things over the years. But uh, he was 77 years old. Really nice guy. While he was a colorist at Marvel for 17 years, he was also many, many other things. And so he worked in the plastics industry as, I think, a designer uh, and did a number of other things outside of comics that were just, you know, um, he did a number of books and magazines uh, on modeling. He also wrote for Starlog magazine. And uh, he put out a book just a couple years ago about plastics. Uh, I don't know who who would want to read that, but that would be that. One word for you. Plastics. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, a small salute there to uh, Andy Ankis. Rest in peace. Um, so, moving on. Where do we want to go now? You want to talk well, we about talk, Yeah, we should talk about kind of the, the setup to this miniseries, which is Crisis on, on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. uh, which, as we've, I think, talked about many times, was... DC wanted to uh, attract new readers to, you know, their comics, and they thought that uh, the way to go about doing that was to basically, you know, clear the slate, so to speak, of all of this decades-long history of these characters. Uh, They felt that it was very intimidating to new readers coming in. And so we got Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, which, uh, you know, cleared cleared the way for uh, new, brand new continuities for these superheroes uh, in the DC universe. And what's interesting is between the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths and the Man of Steel start, uh, starting, uh, which we'll probably interchangeably talk about, um, you know, pre-crisis and post-crisis, because that, that really is the dividing line um, for Superman's history, although now you can throw in another one, you know, which would be, you know, the, the new 52 um, or um, the most recent kind of soft uh, reboot, which was Rebirth. Um, and we, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but uh, there was an interesting story, and we talked a little bit about it off air, that uh, before John Byrne's Man of Steel series started, uh, the story called, you know, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow which I'm sure if you're a Superman uh, fan, you've probably read. It was by Alan Moore came out. And I learned something new today that uh, I didn't know about it, so I wanted to share uh, with you all. So that the the two-issue series, Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, basically takes the Silver Age continuity and says, okay, if you played it all the way out to the end, what would happen? And this was an idea of... Uh, Julius Schwartz, who was the outgoing editor of the Superman books, and, and I'll just read here from the the Wikipedia page. Uh, With the conclusion of Crisis on Infinite Earths, the fictional continuity of the Silver Age that had begun in the 1960s was closed. From October to December of 1986, all of the regular Superman comic books were not published to allow for the publication of the limited series The Man of Steel, which would reboot Superman's continuity. Outgoing editor Julia Schwartz decided to make believe. So I think that's where Brian, I think you had said it, you know, it says, uh, you know, an imaginary tale or something like that. 
decided to make believe his last two issues of Superman and Action Comics were the actual last two issues ever. Initially, Schwartz wanted Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel to write the story as a way to bookend the character. However, Siegel wasn't able to do so due to legal restrictions. And I think, Tim, you had brought up that, that there was an ongoing legal battle yeah, over Superman. So while at a convention, Schwartz asked uh, Alan Moore, who had been developing the character uh, of the Swamp Thing extensively, to be the writer of his final story. Moore poured over the extensive history of Superman and created a roadmap that would complete the stories and characters. To draw the story, Schwartz chose definitive Superman artist Kurt Swan, who had been drawing the character in various publications since Superman 51 in 1948. So the two big things for me that I learned out of that, one, I had no idea that, that Swan had been drawing Superman that long. And I know there's a lot of people that, like, that's their Superman artist. You know, is, is Kurt Swan. Yeah. Uh, and that, too, that they um, this was kind of a I don't want to say like it was rushed, but it seems like it was like, OK, we've got just these two final issues. I've got a little bit of time to, to do this. And they went to more and more went over the whole, you know, uh, uh, history of Superman and came up with this great story, which in two issues he wraps up decades of continuity um, to, to kind of give that uh, Silver Age Superman his final send-off. So I thought that was really interesting, and, and it does tie in nicely to then you go right into, you know, John Byrne's Man of Steel. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can imagine it must be confusing, to, to your point, Brian, you, if, you were, if you were reading, if you were a pre-crisis reader and then you're a post-crisis reader, that... Because, like, as I said, I came in fresh, so to me it wasn't a lot of confusion. But I would imagine, especially for it, because Superman kind of does get a hard restart mm-hmm. with this miniseries. Batman, to my knowledge, doesn't. He, he, they kind of kept his continuity, correct? So well, how did his books no. flow from pre-crisis into post-crisis? Well, in Batman, they didn't ever say we're rebooting, but you saw that they did. And Jason Todd was the perfect example. Well, the Robin... The conclusion of, of Dick Grayson as Robin and Jason mm-hmm. Todd picking take, taking over uh, was the definitive line there. But the fact of the matter was, before Batman Year One was put out, Dick Grayson hadn't been Robin for a while. He'd already become Nightwing. So yeah. they were kind of rewinding and sitting there saying, yeah, this is the point where this happened, and then Jason Todd comes in, and you get to see Jason Todd trying to boost the tires off the Batmobile and... And, yeah. <laughs> and, and Batman taking him in. So, you know, they, well, even in, well, go ahead. Sorry. But I mean, the thing is, is that when all this was going on, you know, they, they recognized, you know, a change was going on in Batman. I think if you look, uh, what was it? Batman comics, 400 came out the same time as man of steel. Number one. And it was kind of like, you know, they, they did one of those, those books where all the writers and artists came in and different, did different sections of stories and such. And I don't even remember, remember those cause it's been forever since I read it, but yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, there, there was definitely some kind of transition going on, but I think that uh, it, like everything else after crisis, writers, artists, and editorial staff were not completely a hundred percent bought in on the concept. And they had a hard time letting go of the old toys. Oh, I'm sure. Now, 
in regards to Burns' involvement in all this, and it, it's interesting because it goes back to about 1982 or so, um, around the time, I think, of when they were doing, getting the Untold Legend of the Batman uh, as part of, the, of you know work that Byrne was going to do. Giordano was talking to him about the project that ultimately became Crisis on Infinite Earths. He wanted Byrne to do it. He wanted Byrne to do, and the way that they were going to do it then was they were going to do an 11-issue history of the DC Universe, and then the 12th issue was going to be where they blew it up and came back as just one universe. And they wanted John Byrne to do that. And Frank Miller was there, and you know Frank Miller was just like, this is such a bad idea. <laughs> and Byrne recognized it as well as something that he just, just didn't think that he wanted to do. And, of course, if you look, though, they did Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Wolfman and Perez one, and then afterwards they did a four-issue prestige format history of the DC Universe. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. And, of course, it, it's does, really nice. it does incorporate uh, the Man of Steel origin into it, too, which, obviously, the way Crisis went, Man of Steel came a year later and yeah. wasn't even a, really a thought when it first started. So, is that history is similar to the the history of Marvel that they put out? The Marvel Saga, is that what you're talking or, about? Uh, is that what it's called, the Marvel Saga? Yeah, well, they basically the Marvel Saga reprinted snippets of the various books in giving its history, whereas the history of the DC Universe was George Perez basically yeah. drawing everything, right? You know, much the way uh, John Byrne did X Men 138. Yeah. Well, what's, what's odd is, and this again, I'm just reading what you know, uh, what what I've read, but that it was it was Wolfman that had been wanting to reboot Superman uh, for a while. And I don't know if this was uh, before Crisis or before Crisis was even an idea, yeah. but I've, I've actually got a passage on that here, and I think it is very interesting because this is another thing I learned that so Byrne was not the first one <laughs> to. <laughs> Um, be approached about this uh, writing of uh, the reboot of Superman. Uh, again, from Wikipedia, in the years before Crisis on Infinite Earths led to the reboot of the DC Universe, DC editors and Marv Wolfman had been wanting to do a revision for Superman. Nothing was ever developed until then-publisher and president uh, Janet Kahn asked for re revision proposals from various writers. While regular Superman writer Carrie Bates wanted the revision to still keep the then-ongoing continuity as it was, Wolfman and other writers such as Frank Miller and Steve Gerber wanted to restart the continuity from scratch. Wolfman, Miller, and Gerber all wanted to do the same thing. Get rid of Clark Kent's career as Superboy, cut down Superman's powers, make changes in Lex Luthor's character, and make Superman the only survivor of Krypton, avoiding the other Kryptonian characters uh, if necessary. However, regardless of wanting the same things, how each writer wanted to approach the revision was different. After time had passed, with no revision being granted the green light, executive editor Dick Giordano found out John Byrne had left Marvel Comics in May of 1985. He and Byrne began talking about what Byrne would do with Superman if offered the job. With DC agreeing with 99% of the revision, Byrne was given the go-ahead for what became the Man of Steel. That is that's a very edited and inaccurate <laughs> thing. I mean, because it was Byrne working on Superman that got Jim Shooter basically to fire him from Fantastic Four. So that's that's really really weird. And 
you know, the thing is, it wasn't Byrne that came to him with all the revisions. Byrne wanted to, to basically, like Carrie Bates, keep the continuity, and they said, no, we want to get all this stuff gone. They're the ones that told him what, what couldn't be kept. Well, yeah, and in that same article that Dave just read, I was that a lot of the stuff that Byrne didn't get to keep was he wanted to send Laura to Earth with uh, Kal-El mm-hmm. and have her die from the kryptonite that attaches to his Spatial, pod. Yeah. And she would, and in her dying throes, she would, the, the Kents would find her and she would basically say she'd be going into labor and have the baby. That way he's born on Earth instead of Krypton. And she would kind of task them with, well, here's my son, you must protect him. And that was something Byrne wanted was them more as being chosen protectors instead of being random. And I guess they nixed that. Um, and some other things with, uh, I guess they wanted uh, Lois Lane and Luther to have kind of a romantic relationship. And then she would ditch him for Superman, which would be another level of him hating Superman. Um, and <laughs> something I thought was really odd was Luther was going to have a mountaintop uh, like retreat or house or something. And Byrne didn't want any mountains around Metropolis. So that was next. Hmm. And also the the fact that there's only now he got rid of and this may be Byrne's idea. He got rid of uh, everything but the green kryptonite. Right. No. So all the all the crazy, wacky white and gold and red and and uh, blue and all those. Um, and I thought it was, and that it was his idea. I thought it was a brilliant idea that to limit it. So instead of being kryptonite, everything you yeah. had that one chunk and that was all there was. Yeah. And that was brilliant. I mean, but, you know, again, there was people that resisted. It didn't last long. People that, I mean, the the term that I think Byrne really loves to to throw around is ennui-fueled fanboys. And that are those that basically can't give up the continuity because then they are no longer the experts. Because pre-crisis, you know, just had this extensive past of continuity, multiple worlds, multiple heroes, multiple versions of of Superman and Batman and all the others, all that being wiped away and making this Superman, where Superman starts, the definitive point where Superman starts negates Superman being part of the JSA, negates all that, that other stuff that people love, the, the crossing over of the Justice League with the other ones. I always loved seeing that just to see the, the, the interaction between the, the multiple versions of the characters thought that was really cool. Though I thought it was a bummer that they killed the Earth 2 Batman. And eventually it all comes back and in yeah. different ways. And, you know, I'm not opposed to the, the, you know, segmenting different times. Yeah, me either. You know, in comics, you know, and we've talked about this before, like, um, you know, more power to DC and Marvel. They've been reprinting a lot of Golden Age stuff that you and I and 99% of the population would never have the money to, to even get our hands on a couple of issues, let alone, you know, complete collection. But I have no interest in reading those stories. I've read some of them. They read to me like kind of PowerPoint slides because they're, it's just, it moves so quickly. It's a completely different way of, you know, writing and, and drawing. I just don't have a lot of interest. And that's true for a lot of the silver age for me. Uh, it's not until you get into the Bronze Age that, you know, it starts to kind of feel right to me in terms of what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think we're entering another time where in comics there's going to have to be another cut because if you guys are familiar with when you're organizing, you know, your collections, they refer to the modern age as basically anything from 92 forward. 
that's the biggest chunk, you know, in, in comic history to not have a new, um, you know, idea come around that, that changes, you know, the way that, that, that the comics are either drawn or written or presented or whatever. So I think we're, we're overdue for that, but I want to get into this because, yeah. um, we've got three issues we're going to cover today of the six issue miniseries. Um, I've got the first issue, John has the second, and Tim has the third. And I'm just going to kibitz. So I'm I'm going to get get us kicked off here with issue number one from the the Man of Steel miniseries. I I have the comics in the the collection downstairs, but I figured it would just be easier to grab it from my nice Superman, the Man of Steel hardcover volume one collection. Uh, and the colors and, and the just the way things are presented, they just really pop in here. So good job, DC. Do you want me to uh, uh, give what came out that month, October yeah. 26? Yeah. Okay. Uh, of what Byrne pro- uh, produced, we had, and we just spoke about this a few minutes ago, Batman 400, Resurrection Night. Uh, now, this was... Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. wait. before you do that, yeah. um, Mike's Amazing World says these went on sale in July. This is cover date information, so it'll list oh. it as October. But yeah, that, that's that's the cover date, I think. If you, but it, it, anyway, let me go ahead and give this. This is what came out that month, whether it was July or October. But uh, you had Batman four hundred, which Byrne did one page, the very first inside splash page, which had uh, Batman and Robin and others standing in front of the windmill, and then you had that kind of serpent of all the Batman villains uh, done in, in red. Uh, Doomsday Squad number three, which is a reprint of Doomsday Plus One uh, that fa- that Fantagraphics put out. Uh, Incredible Hulk and Wolverine uh, one shot. Uh, that was the uh, he did the cover work for that. And then of course Man of Steel number one and Man of Steel number two both came out in the same month since they're coming out two weeks apart. And then for Marvel, Ohatmu number eleven, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition, Richard Ryder to Sidewinder. So, yeah, he was kind of busy. <laughs> he was always Sounds kind like of busy. <laughs> now, as far as, the, uh, you know, I was sitting there, I, I wanted to pull out my copy, but I just restacked all my books in the closet. I just couldn't go back and do that again. My back can't take it. So I pulled up um, uh, digital copies. Um, I've got Man of Steel that I bought off of Amazon digitally, and then I've got the six individual issues. And they're both digital copies, but they are different in coloring a little bit. And then it, um, while the trade paperback has got the page numbers, uh, the first issue of Man of Steel uh, individual digital copy does, does not. The coloring in the, the Man of Steel, the issue one, is much more vibrant, but sometimes can mute the dark colors in a big way. The... Um, the Man of Steel trade paperback is a little whitewashed. Yeah, see, I don't have, yeah, I don't have that okay. issue at all with the the hardcover. It looks really good. I I'm reading it just a CBR. I probably get the same ones you've got, Brian. The individual issues. Uh, the colors are nice and vibrant. The the inking looks a little. I don't know if it's just the transfer. The inking looks a little muddy. Oh, and, and just you've lost a little bit of detail there. Yeah, and we talked about this before we we started on air, and I, I think it needs to be stated right now um, in regards to the inking. Now, many many people know that you know when when they started doing Man of Steel, Byrne requested that Giordano did the inking on it 
specifically, and Giordano told him that he would do it. And then the word came out later that Giordano's studio did the inking, and ultimately it was revealed Frank McLaughlin, who was in his stable, was the one that did most of the inking. Well, what I found out from Byrne off of his website was Giordano did the, the figure inks, and then McLaughlin did all the background inks, and you can see a, a, a difference in the line of the inks from the figure inks to the background inks. But, uh, you know, that's something that a trained eye would really have to look at to sit there and say, okay, I can see that difference. But, yeah, yeah Giordano my, did put his hands on it, though. Yeah. The inking looks fine on mine. I just think it may be the, the, when they they reprinted these that it may – it's almost like they made a copy of a copy, you know, and you lose a little bit of definition. Hmm. Uh, that's what it looks like. I don't think it was bad inking. I think it's just the the, the process of reprinting these. Well, you but, know, the, at the time they were trying to – they were experimenting with uh, flexographic printing, amongst other things. We saw that on the Hulk, and it, it made a lot of books muddy at the time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, but I remember even the books themselves had a, had an almost muddy quality to the uh, to to the print. Yeah, I'll shut up now. Oh, <laughs> back to you, David. All right. Well, uh, issue number one um, actually had two covers. There was the the collector's edition cover, which has uh, you know the classic Superman pulling open his shirt to reveal his costume. And then there was the, you know, the newsstand cover um, that had him uh, full-bodied, you know, and, and you had Krypton exploding and the ship leaving. So I thought that was an interesting little note because that was not the norm back then to have multiple covers. Um, the story is basically broken up into three chapters. Um, we start with Superman uh, leaving Krypton, right? The classic explosion, and we'll get in the, you know, into the dialogue. Um, between Jor-El and, uh, what's her name? Lara. Lara, yep. Um, then Chapter 2, we're, we're sped way ahead, uh, where we find, you know, the, an 18-year-old Clark Kent, um, you know, just dominating on the football field, and then, you know, Pa Kent has his talk with, uh, with Clark about the truth. And then the last chapter, uh, we see Superman uh, covertly helping and there's an incident, and it, it uh, is a nice uh, segue into the need for the costume and why he has the costume. So those are the three, the three chapters or the three main uh, beats in the story. So why don't we go ahead and we'll dive into it? I think it should be noted that in the third chapter, uh, you know, the, the, they were dealing with the space plane. That that all had to be redone uh, because originally it was going to be like a shuttle. And with the Challenger exploding when it did, uh, they had to rush to change that. So they draw it. Yeah, and, and the, apparently it was relettered. And uh, in some cases, the lettering didn't come out right. Now I don't see any problem in the copies that I have here, but uh, you know, maybe in the original prints. And I'd have to take a look at the original comics. I couldn't tell that there was an issue at all. That's a scene that's almost taken whole cloth for uh, Superman Returns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're introduced uh, to Krypton. We've got, of course, the the shimmering or glittering, you know, uh, very future tech looking buildings, and we have uh, Kelix and uh, what's the other robot? Kilar. Kilar, yeah, something like that. 
Um, they're discussing that Jor-El, you know, is, is very distressed. Uh, and this costuming on Jor-El does c- continue throughout this volume of Superman. When they're talking about anybody from Krypton, they have this look to them. Uh, anyway, uh, Jor-El tells, uh, tells Laura that it's true, you know, that the planet is going to... Uh, actually, it's the green gas, right? They have the conversation about the green gas killing people, which, of course, is vaporized uh, Krypton, kryptonite. And we see that uh, Kal-El has been taken from the Matrix Chamber, which I thought that was interesting because the, ma- the Matrix Chamber was reintroduced again in the Man of Steel movie. Mm-hmm. That borrows very heavily, from, I think, from this first issue. Yeah. It was also a big part of the Krypton series. World of Krypton. The one on the Sci-Fi Channel? The Sci-Fi Channel Krypton series. Oh, yeah, series. yeah, that's right. Matrix Chambers. Yeah. Did, did the Wachowski seem to borrow from that, too? I'd never watched any Smallville. Does it borrow anything from uh, Burns' kind of run on Superman? when they portray Krypton or how he came to Earth or any of that? You know, that's... God, it's been so long since I've watched that. Um, you know, of course, they used Terrence Stamp as the voice of Jor-El, which I loved. I, I'd always wanted it to be a a, 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 a a con on Superman that it was actually Zod talking to him, but um, they, they didn't do that. But it, it was more of, a, more of the Christopher Reeve Superman that they were shooting for and all that. Yeah. Well, this this issue does introduce, uh, and I, versus credit to burn that the uh, the very kind of sterile, unemotional, yes. uh, highly evolved uh, society that you. I wouldn't say the Superman the movie has that, but they are at least portrayed as very. Uh, well, I want you, know, you to hold that thought. Yeah, because okay. definitely. I, you need to. I, there's some serious issues with that. Yeah. Uh, so he goes and explains to Laura that yes, he's taken um, their child from the Matrix. Um, explains to her that you know they have limited time. He doesn't know if it's a day, if it's an hour, whatever. He but that he's found a planet uh, where uh, their son, you know, will uh, thrive. And of course, she's horrified because you know on the, on the view screen is a uh, is a shirtless. Uh, I don't think it's supposed to be Pa Kent. It's just supposed to be like a worker on the farm. But she's horrified, you know, that he's bare-chested and, you know, this this planet is so primitive and why would he send her there? And so he explains that, you know, has a yellow sun. And and hairy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, he's he's so hairy. Um, (laughs) That could be Ben Hubbard. (laughs) He sees um, um, Superman uh, nowadays. Right. Um, (laughs) Cavill. Right. <laughs> hey, he has perfectly quaffed chest hair. Uh, so he, he explains to her that, you know, this yellow sun, the radiation's going to, you know, power him up. He'll be almost godlike. And, you know, so, of course, she thinks that, you know, oh, well, so he's going to rule the planet. And, you know, he kind of alludes to, well, no, <laughs> I don't think that's the idea, but nice try. Uh, I, I, I think that was kind of funny about Lara, oh, okay, he's gonna he's gonna be the supreme ruler, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, she just went there right away, uh, and very quickly, of course, the planet starts exploding. We have you know the green fissures shooting up all over the place. Um, they say farewell. Kal-El leaves, and you know they have 
the two kind of uh, final moments together. Uh, and I'll come back to this in a second. But the, and then the last page that ends this chapter is Kal-El's ship leaving, and we uh, we do see. I think it's supposed to be not necessarily like a little Easter egg, but you can see it getting hit with a piece of, of kryptonite mm-hmm. on the side. So let's go back to this non-emotional idea because I agree with that when it comes to Jor-El. He's very, you know, like, Lara, we're all going to die and you just need to deal with it. Uh, and she seems highly emotional to me. She has the reaction to his uh, removing uh, Kal-El from the Matrix Chamber. Um, you know, she freaks out about the, the hairy chested guy on the primitive planet. You know, she even has, like, a close-up of, like, oh, no. Um, and, you know, of course, her, um, you know, lamenting around that there's there's no other way. Is this the only way, right? And she's showing emotion on her face. So, you know, I, I don't know if you just chalk this up to, you know, an old mentality, oh. you know, the old school, man, you know, men mentality of, you know, women are always hysterical. Well, I, I, well I, there are a couple mildly sexist overtones in, in that that mm-hmm. Joel seems to be the 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 the, the head thought there that, that basically they, they take their cues from him right um, yeah because he, he has the I'm kind of that I'm his father I'm entitled to remove him from the matrix right. by Kryptonian law or whatever yeah and then the way that they're dressed is you know basically covering up all the aspects of the body to prevent arousal, which is a a common thing done in the Middle Eastern communities, the Far Eastern communities, and in, you know, some of of the, the, here we have like the Mormon communities and such that do that. Uh, This this is almost like demolition, man. You half expect them to see large Jor-El, you've been fined 15 demerits of the local emotional (laughs) statutes. Well, and they... (laughs) And I had forgotten this passage, but um, they even say, like, they didn't come together, you know, like, oh, I really like you, you know, like a normal relationship. They were told that their genetics were compatible. Right. And that's, you know, like a like a highly compatible match or something, you know, like produce the best offspring. Mm-hmm. So they just got paired together, almost like an arranged marriage. Yeah. Well, and I think he should have pushed I mean, granted, we only have, you know, five or six pages to kind of explore this, but. I think he could have pushed it. And I mean, now they were doing it nowadays to do this, that it was even more detached and that because they do seem to be a couple. I think it would, in this society, it might be, uh, yeah, we're got, The computer says that you two have to, you know, we're going to take your two, I think he says seeds or whatever, you, you know, basically your two genetic material right. work to make another person. Uh, but you're not a couple. And, and this, because if the last thing he says to her, he says, you know, there hasn't been, I think he says there hasn't been words to explain how I feel in, you know, in decades. Like, basically, I love you. And that's kind of alien to these people that there, mm-hmm. there is no. Uh, to your point, she does. Uh, not only is she very emotional, she's uh, she's in denial because she keeps saying, right. oh, no, they're going to figure this out. They're going to come up with a cure any day now and we're going to be fine. Right. Uh, and even if the planet didn't explode, apparently all were going to die anyway because of the radiation that's seeping up from the core. Um, so I think he could have pushed it if we had, and maybe I haven't read World of Krypton. Maybe it's more explored more there, uh, but they could have been more, uh, uh, more unemotional and really detached, and more because uh, it's kind of a. This is almost like a very next gen 
type of world they'd go to, you know, where, oh, we've got, you know, they're almost Vulcan-like. Um, and also, I think it's interesting that when he shows her the picture, it's of Kansas, and he yes. and Kyle lands in Kansas. That seems like he, it wasn't like, hey, you're just going to land on Earth, and hopefully yeah. somebody takes care of you. He pinpointed where, right. and maybe he chose that because it was a rural area, and he thought uh, it's better if uh, he doesn't land in a, um, a more pop, you know, isn't there, a, yeah. isn't there an Elswin where he lands and is picked up by the the Waynes? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of those and he lands the, in, in Russia. Right, and then there's the yeah. mail where uh, yep. they were picked up in a different family. Did any of you ever read uh, The Last Son of Krypton? I think it was Elliot S. Magan that wrote it uh, right around the same time Superman the movie came out. Mm, I have not. When the movie came out, of course, the movie was, uh, quote-unquote, written by Mario Puzo. And because of the way his contract read, they could not do a novelization of the movie. So they got Elliot S. Magan to write a Superman novel and, you know, put a bunch of stuff in there, but they couldn't reproduce what what, um, had been scripted. So what had happened was Jor-El actually established contact with an Earth scientist, one of the smartest he could find, to find the best way to have Kal-El raised on Earth. That that scientist was Einstein. And it was Einstein that went to Kansas and found the Kents. <laughs> and so Jor-El aimed it at, at the Kents. I always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Anyway, the only other thing I think up. is odd is <laughs> that, and I'm trying to find it, that Jor-El mentions human several to- a couple times in here. Yes. Like, it's almost like he refers to themselves as human. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I think that it's just a slip up, I think. Yeah, well, I think, yeah. This, I mean, I mean, Jor-El uses a, a Earth colloquialism too as the last straw. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he uses. There's a lot of that in here. <laughs> but the 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 thing is, and, and of course, some of this goes to after Burn left. I mean, after Burn left, the, the other writers came in and took a lot of different liberties with the things that Burn did. One of them they did was that Kalo was the only Kryptonian that could leave Earth. All the others would die if they left, which we know is not you know not not anything that Byrne intended. But the other thing was that the Kryptonians had either the Kryptonians or somebody before them had seeded planets all across the galaxies with uh, mm-hmm. with them, so that humans actually were just Kryptonians that had lived and evolved on Earth, and so they you know just became normal people and had no powers. Um, well, they, they talk they talk about that in the Man of Steel film that they that they had these outposts, right? That once Krypton uh, exploded, that they kind of died out because they weren't getting uh, any kind of support, I guess. But you think that either unless they're really isolationists and just believed in uh, conquering their own planet and not reaching out, then you think they would have colonies all over the place. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, we but that could, was we could that do was, a whole separate podcast on that. That was Zod's. <laughs> that was Zod's interpretation of what happened. It sounds more like Zod just went and killed everyone that didn't believe with him. So you'll have, you, for our listeners out yeah. there, you'll have to read this this first chapter yourself and tell us. You know, are are we are we wrong in this assessment? But I, I do have to read just two bubbles yeah. um, that show how detached Jor-El is compared to Lara. Um, Laura is looking for Jor-El because the planet's exploding and she, you know, Jor-El with a question mark. And I'm just going to put my, you know, my ridiculous uh, voice on it. From the moment I was shown your hollow image and told your seed and mine would be mingled in the matrix, I have felt an unknown emotion stirring in my heart. It's like, dang, that's cold. 
but I have studied uh, well the habits of the of the Earthlings, and I have learned from them an understanding of what I feel. And even though we die, I am content so long as we die together. <laughs> it's like, jeez. Any more robotic there, dude? And then for I have always loved you. Yeah. yeah. It is like uh, it is like a Demolition Man. He's like uh, he's like Sandra Bullock and, and just reveling in the past. You know who could play this perfectly? It would be Peter Weller. He looks uh, Jor-El's head is very RoboCop like. Yeah. I, I, I but, thought uh, that he was trying to make that Jor-El's face look like Clark's face. You know, just with no eyebrows on. They they, they removed all all the facial hair. Though I'm surprised that Laura has lipstick on. And look out for those sexy eyebrows. She's going to shave those off. Yep. Uh, so chapter, it's titled Chapter 1, The Secret. It's it's basically the second portion oh. or second. Wait, wait, wait. That was a prologue. Yeah. I just want to say what a great image that is of the rocket leaving the planet. And I think that uh, Byrne did a good job at trying to capture some of the elements of the origin story we grew up with in the Bronze Age and Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Um, such as uh, Jor-El at the control panel and it shooting off into the into space, and then the two of them being together as the the planet explodes around them. Um, that's an iconic panel of having Lara and Jor-El watching their the spaceship go off into the distance, and then just the ship leaving and then the planet exploding like that. I mean, that's just been duplicated on cover stories, you know, the anniversary issues and things like that, so it's a great image, and I love the design of the ship I'm so glad it's kind of like retro uh, deco style, kind of like the old old ways, and not some sleek new uh, <laughs> space needle that they would have probably uh, upgraded it to, so I, I well, think it's, it's very, cool. and it's, I like the coloring It's very Burn-like yeah, well, Get off my lawn he's a, you know, the, the thing I, is, I, when Byrne came into this, the one thing that he had to do was he had to get Krypton away from the Flash Gordon Republic serial styling that it had been using for the previous 30, 40 years. Because that was the, the the look that they'd given it originally, was which was like that, right from, like I said, from the Republic serials, had aged so poorly. And yet, you know, that they were still using that in the Superman comics from just the, the years before. So it, it, he made it alien, incredibly alien. When you look to get that first page and you see that alien landscape there, that the the building and, and such there, you know that this is a different Krypton than anything you'd ever seen. Well, we have a self-imposed 20-minute limit, so I want to keep <laughs> no. us moving forward. Um, Don't make the goat scream. So We've got time. Uh, the next, the next uh, chapter in the book is we see Clark is dominating on the football field and and pa kent is there watching and he's not very happy about it of course the coach is ecstatic because um you know he's mopping the floor with the other team and he's supposed to go out with uh with lana and have a soda or milkshake or whatever to celebrate and pa kent says no you know you're going to come with me now um and they ride back and basically we get several pages of Paul Kent explaining that, you know, they've kept a secret from him. Uh, and I, I do like the fact that, you know, the place where the ship crashed, he, it's not like other su- Superman interpretations of this where they've dragged the ship back to the barn or something, right, and they put it under the barn. It's sitting exactly where it crashed on their property. 
but Pa Kent has, you know, put put the big board doors over the top and and put the what do you say the strongest or you know most vicious barbed wire around it and you let it all overgrow, um, but it's still sitting there. And he recounts the story of of uh, how they met uh, uh, Kal and how you know excited uh, Ma Kent was to have a baby because they had been trying. Yeah, you know, unsuccessfully, uh, and it was just that same night that when they they found Kalel, there was a horrible snowstorm, and they were snowed in for like five months. And so by the time they were able to get out, um, they just passed Kalel off as their own. Yeah. Um, which I thought was was a really kind of smart, you know, a five being snowed in for five months is kind of ridiculous, but at least in comic continuity or comic storytelling, it's like at least it's somewhat plausible. You know, it's that they suddenly have this baby boy. <laughs> well, Nobody like knew, a, knew about it. Superman the movie, she says, well, we'll just say that uh, he's orphaned from my cousin, you know. Right. And that's why they got him. So it's... Uh... So, yeah, so we, we see then, you know, these um, different moments in Kal-El's early life. Um, you know, how they first... Uh, how Ma and Pa Kent first realized that he had some powers because he got trampled by a bull. Um, and the only thing that happened was his clothes were, uh, were, you know, uh, torn. We see him picking up the, the farm truck to get a ball. Um, you know, another time where he's flying. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of sets the stage then, uh, after he's been told, you know, his real history, uh, for him to go off and do something with his life. Um, and he does. He leaves. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it, from this, from, from you know, Pop can't tell me basically. Uh, y- you know, you've always told me to not use my power to be better than anybody else, and you realize that's what he was doing because he was. It shows the guys on the bench are like, "Well, why are we even here?" Because you're winning right. the game by yourself. That's a it's a very Teen Wolf storyline there. Um, right. No, we're a team, you know. So, and he realizes that that no, you're right. I have to, you know, I have to help people, but I can't let people know it's me and. Um, we also get the introduction of Kryptonite. We get to see him come close to the ship, and he starts getting yep. woozy. And you see a little green, I guess, the embedded piece on the back of the of the yep. ship, and they don't understand why. And then we see them drive off, and we see a shadowy figure. Now, yep. uh, has this ever been – I'm assuming that's somebody that works for Lex. No, that's, Lex that's Emmett Vale. Right? That, that's who? That's Emmett Vale. Emmett Vale, he's the scientist from that made Metallo. Is that revealed? That's who that was? We covered that book. You think I'd remember that? Uh, but does it ever explain how he knew to to look there or why he was I think poking around the kid farm? He's been watching them a long time, stalking them a long time, because he thinks that Kal-El is an alien invasion, the beginning of an alien invasion. So he was stalking and watching them a long time. The Kents never had okay. any clue. I mean, in this how issue, did, there are two references. How did he know about it? That's a good question. But the thing is, you know, when uh, a meteor or a spaceship or anything crashes on the D.C. Earth, you know, it's not just one person that sees it. A lot of people see it, even if it's in Kansas. And, you know, the conspiracy minded is going to go around and ask questions. Yeah, this is pre-social media. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So the last chapter in the the, uh, first issue is uh, titled The Exposure. And I had completely forgot this part of the story. And, you know, it's still, it kind of tugs at my, my heartstrings. And I'll tell you why. So we, we, uh, see Ma Kent 
Um, she's got a scrapbook uh, where she's cut out all these stories that she um, has attributed to her, her son. And we see, you know, diver saved as vessel refloats, bridge holds till last minute, floodwaters diverted, right? All telltale signs that this is her son doing this. Because remember, at this raised. point, he's... Titanic. I, I, didn't like, <laughs> I was going to leave that one out. Um, uh, but then we get uh, uh, Pa Kent opens the newspaper and it says mysterious Superman saves space plane. And they hear a creak upstairs. And of course, you know, oh, my goodness, it's in Clark's room. They think somebody's broken in. And it's it's Clark um, or Kal-El. And. Pa says, you know, he says, son, and the room is completely dark, and you can tell that Kalel is very distressed, and he says, they wanted a piece of me, Pa, they wanted a piece of me, and so then we get the story where he is observing this, you know, big uh, space show or a, a flight of a new spacecraft, um, some civilian airplane gets in the way, crashes into it. And he has no choice. He knows, even though this is a crowded environment, if he doesn't act, the, the, you know they're going to die. And so he springs into action and saves the plane, brings it down safely to the runway. And uh, Lois comes out and she sees uh, Kellel and confronts him. And they have a moment. And next thing you know, uh, Kellel is mobbed by people. And you can see kind of a look of of horror uh, on his face because they're just all on top of him. And that leads into the creation of the costume and the secret identity or the identity of how, of how Clark Kent is going to look versus how Superman is going to look. And there's even a mention about... Um, you know, that the suit is tight because it seems if it's tight to his body, it, it is protected, um, does not tear, and we get Superman flying off in his new costume. Yeah, that's a great. That's, and of course, you see. I will say this: that you see him at Vale in the background there, right on that last panel. Look up at the barn. Oh, is there somebody hiding in the barn? Yeah, that's someone there hiding. Oh. That's Emmett Vale right there, watching what's going on. So this is seven years later. All right, according to what Pot Kent said, you know. Clark has been out in the world doing his good deeds and everything for seven years. And here they are. He comes back home. This one day they sit there and they make the costume and everything. And that guy is still hanging about and sees that. Well, if he's been watching, if he's been watching Clark, maybe he knew Clark came home. So that's why he's there. I don't know if he's necessarily, um, he's necessarily been uh, hanging out at the Kent farm for seven years. But um, I don't know. I, I will say this, that this is a... The, Look at the difference between this and the way he's portrayed in Men of Steel, where Kevin Costner, as Pa Kent, tells him, you know, you, you have to hide yourself. You have to keep yourself hidden. You know, don't you, maybe you shouldn't have saved those kids in the bus, you know, because you cannot let people know who you are. Uh, and in this, he's like, yeah, I need to protect my identity, but that's not more important than the lives of these people on this plane. So no matter what, I'm going to go save them. And I think that's a big difference that that's what Superman would do. He wouldn't think of himself first. He's going to think of others and whether, you know, people see him or not. And then, of course, he's just mobbed and he and it's more like people are asking. <laughs> he says they were demands. They wanted him to sell stuff and, 
right. and uh, all this other stuff. You know, he said, I think I uh, unleashed the worst, the greediest, the most uh, covetous, covetous right. part of everyone, you know. So and it's just I think being a, a guy growing up in Kansas, he's he's not you know he's maybe a little naive, and we see that later in some of the other issues, which I which is I think is what's so endearing about Superman, that he's very much a small town kid trying to do the right thing, although he's got you know he's the most powerful being on the right. planet. That's yeah, the only thing contrast. I you know I I missed is I like the idea that his cape came from the shuttle, right? Came from the pod that was kind of like part of of krypton and and here we we have you know ma kent stitches the whole outfit together yeah that was the only nitpick i had with that uh, you know other than um there's one coloring error in this book i'll share it but yeah i I felt like the only thing you could compare it to would be like remember when michael jackson would try and go out in public and you couldn't even move right because you just mobbed yeah that's the same thing that's how it felt like what happened with with uh, with Clark there that he was just mobbed, and that would well, be terrifying. Right, and with the creation of you know not the creation of Clark Kent but just a different ver- version of Clark Kent in this, you know it, it says and that one thing they wanted to do was uh, eliminate the fact of people always trying to find out who Superman was because they wanted to establish that Superman didn't have a secret identity; he was just Superman. That he he didn't disguise himself as somebody else. So that was one way of think, of people not thinking. Well, obviously, look at Clark Kent; he looks just like Superman. Uh, and just and to make Clark the character and Superman the identity, and I thought that's the way it always was. What, before pre-crisis, was it considered he was Superman and Clark was his alter ego? Yeah. I always thought it was Clark and Superman was his alter ego. Yeah. Um... No, I, I like the idea of Clark Kent being who he is. I mean, because, you know, he actually was Clark. There w- it wasn't um, uh, any, you know, anything about that. Superman was just the, what he played when he went out there to help That people. was his job. Yeah. That was his, Superman was his job. Yeah. And, and now, David, you're talking about a coloring. What's that noise? Getting a phone call. No, I'm playing myself off the stage. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a couple coloring areas, and you, you, you show one there on that page where he's being mobbed. But if you go back to page 18, um, the page where he's sitting there talking to Ma and Pa Kent, the whole, you told him, he told him, I told him, he told me. And in the middle panel there, you've got just Clark's face as he's talking to them. In the Man of Steel trade, his hair, the, the coloring stops at one point and just goes to his skin color. And you can see the pencil lines go right through it. But on the digital issue, um, it's fixed, but it's so dark that you can't you can't see the texture of the hair. It's really really dark dark blue instead of the almost aqua wash that they do on the uh, hair for the trade paperback. Interesting. I don't seem to have that in my digital copy, or I didn't pick up on that. Uh, anyway, that's a that's a that that pose in the last that you see that repeated lots that him flying through the air that kind of perspective of. Um, it's a great image, and it's probably it one is. that he yeah. thought would get picked up for all of the uh, marketing. And I think um, you have you do see it a lot. You see it on uh, you see it on a lot of um, material. Yeah. Now, David, what was it that you were pointing out as far as the coloring, aside from the guy with the really weird eagle claw hand that's reaching for Clark's shoulder? On the, the where they're being mobbed, 
uh, I, I put it in the group. The one of the people in the group uh, does her skin tone changes from what's under her glasses to what's on her face. Oh, it's, it's really odd. Well, it, it's funny because, like, it, it, again, looking at the trade paperback, everything is light. The coloring is light. And so there's that woman that's behind Lois Lane. She's, you know, obviously supposed to be African-American and she's wearing these pink hued glasses. And then on the the single issue digital copy I have, she is so dark skinned um, and the glasses almost disappear, but they're still pink hued and everybody's clothes change. The guy behind her is wearing like a aqua green jacket. And then in the digital cop, the, the just the regular comic, he's. It's a dark green, not aqua. Yep. The mine's yet dark green, and there's a person in the lower right corner that has purple hair. Yeah, the, which is more <laughs> of an auburn reddish kind of hair in the. As as you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't judge. Well, but what? Well, we ready to move on issue? to uh, what was everyone's issue number on the first issue overall. Two. I, I liked it. I thought it was. Uh, I mean, it, it's a little condensed. Not that I want a, a twelve issue series out of this, but. Uh, I'd like to have seen a little more about Krypton and uh, Krypton. 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 <laughs> um, I know. I know. I have read that Byrne wanted to when he did it. He wanted to have Superman kind of start out and kind of learn his powers as he goes. But DC said no, no. He's got to kind of hit the ground running. So he kind of had to get him established. I think at the end of this, he was established as Superman and knew how to do everything. Well, and and he. I think that's the scrapbook scene, right? Is right. It's been seven years, and look at all these things he's done. Yeah. Um, but yes, out, out of the first three, I'm just going to judge them as a whole because we're covering three. Mm-hmm. I found this one the best of the three. Hmm. Interesting. I, I like this one the most. It's probably the best, well rounded of all the issues. It's a great origin story. Yes. Great origin, way to hit the ground, you know, running, so to speak. And it does. Or flying. Yeah, flying. Um, so let's move on to the next one. All right, Man of Steel number two. Now, this one uh, came publisher. out two weeks later, obviously. You know, like I said, so they had the same books come out that month. <laughs> Sorry, I'll shut up. Yeah, so Man of Steel number two, cover date, it just says uh, Mike's Amazing World 1986. Uh, the on-sale date was July 24th, according to Mike. Cover price of 75 cents and a peach count of 32 the uh, cover is by John Byrne. Uh, the story is called The Story of the Century. So John Byrne is the writer-editor. Inker is listed as Dick Giordano. Letterer, John Costanza. And the colorist is Thomas Zuko. So, um, yeah. And this is the um, split covers. Of course, we've got a, a cover of Superman pulling a... A car out of the water, out of a lake or something, and Lois Lane standing there with a uh, the Man of Steel shield, and above that, introducing Lois Lane. So uh, there she is in her pencil skirt, looking mighty fierce, which is awesome. And uh, a little bit of a redesign. Um, here we have Lois hair with brown hair, brunette, instead of being raven haired as we have had for the last uh, the previous forty years, forty five years. So that was kind of a shock. What did you think of that, Brian or Tim, with kind of a such a character change? I'm sorry, my mother changed her hair color every couple months, so it, it didn't, you know, 
I'm not talking about your mom. No, I'm talking about what I'm saying is, is because my mom did it, I just thought that was a natural thing for every woman to change her hair color, you know, every so often. Okay. You know, it's just a, okay. a thing. Women do. I didn't have a problem with it because yeah. I didn't really have a history with Lois Lane. Because in the, in the George Reeves show, was it she blonde or kind of a redhead? It was hard to tell. It was black and white. Yeah, yeah it was black and white. Well, even when it went color, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was mostly like a strawberry okay. blonde. Well, I'm just thinking like today people freak out when the character doesn't look exactly the same, such as when the Saturn Girl showed up in Supergirl series. I mean, she wasn't blonde. <laughs> she wasn't wearing a pink bikini. Oh my God, that can't be Saturn Girl. You don't get rid of the pink bikini, come on. Someone had posted just a couple days ago on Facebook the image of this cover, the original page, and they showed an image that on the back of the page was the Zipatone for her pantyhose. Because you can see that, that they use Zipatone there for her legs. Yeah. And so if you buy the page, or when the page was sold, it actually came with that Zipatone cut out. So you could see that as well. I thought that was cool. Well, Zipatone was cut out and applied to the page anyway. That's all I think Zipatone works. Right. It's a clear overlay. But it was to let whoever's known setting the page, if you're going to do this, this is what you should use. Oh, okay. Now, so what is that on her, is on her hand? Superman. Is that her chest pass? I'm, I'm sorry, John. I know I keep interrupting, but just it, it, I just sitting there realizing... I don't realize it looks like a cassette. Tape. I think it's a tape recorder. A tape recorder. It looks like a tape That's, recorder. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Go ahead, John. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so let's get the synopsis done. So, uh, Superman returns to Metropolis as a costumed superhero. He immediately makes an impact on crime by stopping a purse snatcher and a group of armed robbers. The robbers think they can get the best of him and discover bullets bounce off Superman. He has heat vision. And uh, he is strong, and he's also polite. Lois Lane follows the Man of Steel around Metropolis, trying to catch him for an interview, but keeps just barely missing him. Seeking to get, uh, so that she can get a story for the, a scoop, actually, for the Daily Planet. When her attempts to catch up to him fail, she drives her own car off the end of a pier and into that nasty, nasty water. Something similar to what we saw in the first Superman movie. As she had hoped, Superman comes to her rescue. A daring, daring um, exhibit of that he's going to find her. <laughs> so Superman returns Lois to her apartment, and um, after she takes a shower and shows up in her bathrobe, uh, answers a few questions. Lois is thrilled that she will finally be able to write her article and make the headlines. However, as Superman warned her, the information won't help her. When Lois returns the article to her boss, Perry White, she learns that she has been she has been beaten to the story by a new upstart reporter that has just been hired, Clark Kent. <laughs> End of story. And some notable character entries: Lois Lane, of course, Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, and Lex Luthor. That's what I, I have. have. This is my favorite issue out of, out of, out of, the, out of the first three. Yeah, it's my favorite <laughs> issue. Uh, I mean, even just the very first panel, the first page is so vivid, bright, dynamic. Uh, Tim, I asked him to put it out as our teaser because it's just that it's the perfect introduction. I, I mean, you're seeing things from Perry's point of view. You see Lois and then out the window, you see Superman flying by for the very first time right there by mm -hmm. Calvin Klein's underwear. <laughs> Well, it's kind of cool that he's what well, he's drawn Superman looking through the window that his color is a little muted. 
so that is what it looked like if you're looking through probably a pane of glass instead of um, so his his reds aren't as dark and the blues aren't as dark. Now, did but, you guys catch the uh, the the reference to Superman two in this uh, image? Mm-hmm. Uh, there. They're obviously there for breakfast. It's early in the morning. Perry's having a cup of coffee, and Lois is eating a cheeseburger. A hamburger. <laughs> yeah, she's eating a burger. Oh, you're talking about when they go for their date? Well, no. I mean, oh. in Superman 2, you know, it's early in the morning, and Lois wants a burger. Oh. oh well, I thought you meant when, the, well, Superman 1, they go on the date. He goes, I thought we'd go for a hamburger right. or you know, a cheeseburger or something. But but in Superman um, 2, when uh, when he gives her the, the whammy kiss... The Mister Spock uh, wiped the memory. Yeah, it's, you know, he, you know, he's, he's helping her out. The other woman comes in, puts her in the chair, gets her a cup of water, and, and Clark says, "You know, do you need anything?" And she goes, "You know, I'd like a cheeseburger." <laughs> and you know, she even earlier in the movie, she had a cheeseburger with the orange juice that she was uh, uh, trying to fresh squeeze. Well, the, this is very. It feels like he's channeling Superman the movie because yes. when he stops the robber, well, who the purse snatcher you know he just basically floats down and tells you know just drags the guy off the guy's kind of kind of uh, gobsmacked um, and then also when he tells the woman hey don't you think that music is a little loud you should be yeah. uh, conscious of other people around here you know you can, that's, you can hear that's, Christopher Reeve making that statement you know exactly that's <laughs> very Christopher Reeves you know what, um, I, what, what I got out of this this those first few pages was by having the costume he's really been liberated yeah yeah you know, he can fly around. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, trying to protect the, you know, the secret. Um, you know, so he's, he's, I just noticed in this one, he's smiling a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he, I think it's because he's, maybe he's being a little naive, but he thinks he's doing right. He is. He's like, hey, I'm helping people. I'm stopping and I'm not being, you know, I'm not smashing these guys in the face. I'm not being brutal. I'm just detaining them. And trying to be, you know, a, a good citizen to the point where even when he goes to the bank or the liquor store and he tells the guy, you know, hey, you guys stand back. I don't want you guys to get hurt. Uh, and then he goes, just crimps the guys. You know, he's 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 playing at it. You know, he's he's being a little uh, I'm going to say being uh, show offy, but he's a he's a little into himself about what he can do because he's casually walks up, crimps the gun. Uh, and then, of course, they unload on him, and you think that he would try to stop some of those bullets that are just flying off of him. Uh, of course, he did tell the cops to stay back. Uh, and then we get the first heat vision, and also the non-beam heat vision. You know, but they can see something's going on with his eyes because the guy says, "Right, his eyes got to go Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he just thumps the girl. Um, because <laughs> he doesn't punch a girl. <laughs> he takes off her glasses first. I've never hit a lady. <laughs> But then I never met a lady who carries dynamite under her coat. (laughs) Yeah, you ain't no lady. (laughs) It's kind of. I do like that panel. I do. My favorite panel in this is um, the Linda Hamilton esque panel right before uh, right before that page where she gets plinked. You know, waste the mother, and she's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah she <was> pretty <laughs> she's the most violent of all of them. Yeah, I, she is, man. That's hardcore. You know. <laughs> now, and then the the, the, the so going back to uh, the beginning, we got you know Lois racing off, and then we've got the first uh, the intro for Lex here doing a little bit of stalker action here. Yeah, and uh, I'm sorry, but his line's got around. the worst interior coloring I've ever seen. 
I don't care which version you're looking at. It's like avocado or lime green. Oh, the the car. Yeah, the, in, in, when the yeah. when the the driver comes out and he's got the door open. Look at the coloring there. It's silly, regardless <laughs> which a, way you look at it. Doesn't that's a weird later. way to have the door open. Yeah. I, I'm more concerned about how that door's opening, not about the color. <laughs> oh, it's a suicide door. Yeah, uh, it's a strange door. She basically tells Lex to bug her off. She's like, I yeah. don't know, I can deal with that. Well, it's, it it does establish that there is some relationship between yes. her and Lex, whether it was romantic there was something they know each other uh, to the point where the helicopter is a LexCorp helicopter and she's yeah, pulling in yeah. a favor to get this guy to fly around because she's trying to you know we're, we're we're introduced to the typical lowest lane of the the hard-hitting i'll do anything you know i'm gonna put myself in danger to get the story i'm gonna i'm gonna do whatever it takes uh and of course she's a little obsessed with uh trying to find uh, you think superman yeah mm-hmm. to the point where or and i love the the montage of her Show the four panels of her showing up right after he's left, and you get these four fashion choices from her. Yeah, what is the one in the upper right? What is that big coat she's wearing when she's talking to uh, I don't know what the guy is like a jewelry store or something? That's like a Russian winter um, coat, it's something <laughs> because she's very stylish in the other ones. It's all one. 80s, very... yeah, it's just all 80s. <laughs> and then the, the next page where she's you know in the, the city room or in her office and she's wearing that big sweater. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Well, one panel she looks like Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that green coat, that hat. Yes. I, I mean, yeah, she no. just went through a couple catalogs and was getting model images. It goes, yeah, let's do her like this. Now let's do it. Like... It's like Sarah Jessica Parker in that movie with Bruce Willis, where every scene she was yeah. in, she changed into a different outfit. Well, Burns always loved to be very. Uh, I will say he's always been very up to date in his fashion, so he probably gets a kick out of drawing all these different fashion choices that uh, that she's going through. And she probably would be, you know... Uh, oh. Or she's, she's got a lime green computer, too, there, Brian. Look. That laptop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and, yeah, it's great because it also shows the passage of time and that she's doing different things, but... Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, finally, she uh, drives off the, the pier that she is... Um, Drowning Superman happened to luckily hear her, <laughs> mm-hmm. which was pretty good. Now, uh, yeah, I did not like that. I, that. That to me is just like that's psycho. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive myself off this bridge and force this hero to save me so I can get an interview. I want to know what mm-hmm. insurance says. Well, insurance fraud. I mean, How many witnesses saw her just go straight off there? And is that her car? Is it a taxi cab or what? I mean, we only see the underside of it, basically, for the most of But what we do see at the front grill is taxi cab yellow. Now, that's yellow primer. But but the thing is that you guys got to understand is that up until about 1995, I think, you couldn't buy a car in that color. It was reserved for taxi cabs and school buses. So oh, more I'm like, sure there was a big clamor. Yeah. I'm sure there was a big long line of people thinking, "Oh, I wish I could paint my car canary yellow." Right. But in now in the uh, in the the digital issue, it is more of an orange than yellow, though. Yeah, it's kind of orangey, but yeah, it looks. It doesn't look like a taxi cab to me. It yeah. looks like it's mm-hmm. kind of a little color. Yeah. So I, I like how he um, dr- puts her down uh, in the apartment, and he's like, "Okay, bye," and she's like, "Yeah, okay, see ya." No. Wait a minute. That, <laughs> Get back here. That pose for come back here, that is so 
I mean, it, this must have been right around the time he was married, because. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that pose, Brian? Not in public, but in private, yes. <laughs> The other thing I like is that, and I've actually used this line here, when he's flying her and she says, you know where I live? And he goes, of course, Miss Lane, I know where everybody lives. That's creepy. Well, no, when, when, I, when I worked in IT and uh, I would have to set up full, you know, full groups of new people coming in and they'd be in classrooms and then I would get called to the classroom because someone can't get logged in. And, you know, I walk over and I, you know, say the name of somebody and they go right here. And then someone else, I'd hear someone else's first name and I say, you're so-and-so. And they go, yeah, how do you know my name? And I said, I would, I would just kind of give them that look like I'm IT. I know everybody's name. Mm -hmm. And then someone else would go, well, my name is so-and-so. Who am I? Oh, you're so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> Want me to tell everybody your birthday? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was creepy. A little bit. A little bit. Go, you we'll, 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 we'll move on I, well, from that. But, yeah, I, that's... You know, this small town mentality, right, that, that Superman true. has. Yeah. yeah. He he should well, and I'm gonna I'm counter arguing here is that he should have been like, Look, lady, you drove your car off a bridge, assuming that I was gonna save you or you know, the pier, assuming I was gonna save you. And he even uh talks about what if he had been on the other side of the you know, the planet yeah. doing something else. Yeah. You know, you got issues, lady. He was in too like, good of a mood. Go get some help. He was in too He's good of a mood. It was his coming out well, party. He he does point out that she had an aqualong. Yep. You know, so she was prepared. But he still says later it wouldn't have lasted. Yeah. It yeah. wouldn't last that long. Um, but. Maybe your point, David, that is, you know, he's, I think he's smitten with her. He's, he's a small town guy mm -hmm. and she's a, she's a big city reporter and she's, you know, he's, he's probably like, oh, I think she likes me. So he's, 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 well, and uh, we have in the next, yeah, and we have in the next issue, right? He's going after her to go get Batman because he's breaking laws. It's like, well, what did, what did she just do? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's a different thing. I think thing. the bigger question the is, police aren't looking for laws. <laughs> yeah. What is Clark wearing in that bottom page of 21? It looks like he's dressed like Chauncey. Why is he? Do you think that's how a big city guy dresses with a cravat and a, and a, and a pork pie hat like that? <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm surprised John didn't point it out. It, when she comes out of the shower, that's very inappropriate attire around the Oh, I was going man. to, but then Tim jumped over to, to uh, Clark. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. But, yeah, no, I mean... Why wouldn't you get dressed when you have a guest in your home? That was kind of, I always thought that was pretty strange. She, well, she's offering she him wine. She didn't want him to leave. She And and, mm -hmm. and she definitely wants more than just an interview. Apparently. Mm -hmm. It's like Margot mm -hmm. Kidder dressing up when she's uh, meeting Chris Reeves. I mean, you know? This is a woman that, that, while she's not really interested, has definitely had some flirtation or something with Lex Luthor, based on the, the things mm -hmm. that she had, had, had said or thought in this issue. Yeah. She's definitely well, was... flattered by his attention. Well, do you think when she's kind of interviewing him, she's asking him all these questions, he's kind of answering some of them, but then he says, I've got to go. It's not going to do you any good. This has stuff up. Do you think at that time he's thinking, I'm going to write this story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically beat her to the punch and write um, the exclusive story. And Yeah, I think he's already yeah, written yeah, it. Yeah, he's already written yeah. it. He's going to go for his appointment, and he's got it, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. and she's all... And she says either in this issue or I think it's in this one because when she – the other papers were coining – they were calling him Superman. She kind of yeah. coined that term. Mm -hmm. yeah. I thought, could she have copywritten Superman at that point? Know. Because at this point, there was no Superman. 
Well, you know what? She's too busy being thirsty. Well, that's, that's not true. There is Nietzsche's Superman. Well, that's true. So I, I don't know that she could, but uh, but yeah, that's I mean that's a that's a that's basically a big introduction to Lois Lane, and we get to see Superman kind of in his daily patrol around the city of of uh, you know stopping you know he's doing a lot of street level stuff. He was he stopped the the, the, the liquor store bar, uh, robbery, but it was um, very we much get more like, insight to how he is. It was very much like the Christopher Reeve Superman doing that first very night much. after he saved Air Force One. Yeah. Doing all those other exactly. things, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was a good issue. And like you said, a great intro to Lois Lane. Great way to establish who who she is and the and the the key players there as a planet. And I love her expression on the bottom, already have I mean yeah. Burn of course great at putting emotion into the faces. You know she's surprised and angry. You, you oh, yeah. notice and well, she spent all that time writing it up. You notice that Clark is wearing the standard Clark Kent outfit from all the old Superman comics. The blue mm-hmm. suit, blue the red, suit, black red tie. tie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he basically just looks almost like the Kurt Swan uh, prototype there. Yeah, yeah. And we, we don't really get it here because this is really our first glimpse of Clark Kent, but uh, what's also different is that he's not really mild-mannered. He's not... He doesn't try to create. He doesn't. You know, his father says, "We'll just slump a little we'll bit." We'll get to that in issue but he, four. Right. He's a little more assertive. He's not quite. Uh, he's not the. He's not a Chris Reeve Clark. He's not the pain waste. To, right. That's yeah. so, one of the things I like about this first two issues is those those great elements that John Byrne pulled in from the Silver and Bronze Age Superman and the movie and just kind of wove them in, but yet didn't. Um, uh, you know, updated them a little bit, and but still made them a part of the story. So to me, it was a great connection of yeah. honoring um, what went before. Well, it's it's very similar to, to Henry Cavill's take on it because he doesn't really try to distinguish a difference between Superman and Clark at all. A lot of times, he's walking around with his glasses on as Clark, so uh, it doesn't seem like he's trying to hide his identity very well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. We're ready for three. Well, actually, let's take a moment to look at a couple little weird things. Number one, back on page seven, that's where Superman is hanging the the the, the guy he catches in the garbage can up on the lamppost. And if you look at the bottom left panel, Superman's face is drawn really almost sluggo like. It just doesn't look right for the rest of the book. Are you guys seeing what where I'm talking about? Where he's hmm. lifting, where he's lifting up the trash yeah, can. Yeah, his face is just like really not right. Yeah. And then the right. two pages before, you've got the girl walking down the street. She got the boombox at her head. Now, what do you think is going to be worth more for from her, the purse or the boombox? Nah, he just wants to cash. He just man. wants to get. Yeah. But the the second panel there, you can see that. You know, she's sitting there, she's walking along, some hair sticking out, but that hair is a lot brighter red than the pink hair that she's got um, in, in the rest of the panels. Now, it's fixed in the trade paperback, but in the digital uh, issue itself, it's it's messed up. The color's all bright, mm. too bright. It's all the same in the hardcover. Yeah. Okay, that's those are the only ones that really stood out to me. Is that your alarm? Or is someone just <laughs> calling you that often? Uh-huh. That's, that's, the, uh, that, that's the hook that's shaking us off yep. stage. <laughs> okay. 
All right. We will go on to uh, issue three, which I'm covering. And we've, as stated, we've covered this issue back in episode 10 of Third Green Burn. It was just me and Brian before we had our illustrious other guests. So go listen to it then. Hey, thanks for joining us on Third Green Burn. That's right. Please see (laughs) episode 10. Yeah, and if you listen to episode 10, I think you'll actually hear us read a letter from David. Do you remember? Uh, that sounds horrifying. Yeah, a letter from Blue Bullet. That's you, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think you were talking about uh, one of our Trek stories. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we invited him on the show anyway. Yeah, we invited him on the show anyway. Um, yeah. If I could turn back. <laughs> Sorry. All right, all right, all right. Uh, issue three of our six issue uh, series here. Uh, our writer is, of course, John Byrne. Our artist is John Byrne. Our anchor is Dick Giordano, figures at least. Our colorist is Tom Zuko. Letterist is uh, John Canstanja. Uh, our cover art is John Byrne, and our editor is Andy Helfer. Uh, I've got a cover date of 80, just says cover date of 86, sale date August 7th, 86. It costs 75 cents, and there are 32 pages, 22 which are story. Uh, other notable John Byrne work of the same month. Batman 401, he was just a cover artist. Doomsday Squad 4, which is a reprint of Doomsday Plus One. Uh, Legends number one came out, he was the artist. Marvel Fanfare 29, which is the Hulk story, which we've covered. Uh, he was writer-artist on that. Uh, and also Man of Steel number four came out the same month. And he did the cover art for Vigilante number 35. And then Ohatmu. And Ohatmu. I didn't, I didn't show up on my list for some reason. Uh, this is reprinted in Man of Steel trade paperback from 88, Man of Steel number 3 variant, 97, Superman Batman The Greatest Stories Ever Told from 2007, and Batman v Superman The Greatest Battles from 2016. And our story is entitled One Night in Gotham City. Superman and Batman meet each other for the first time. Batman is in the trail of the criminal known as Magpie, see Batman number 401. Uh, Superman, uh, who regards him as an outlaw, interrupts him as he's chasing Bull, a henchman of the criminal Batman is pursuing. It's Magpie. A criminal that has left a trail of bodies across Gotham. Rather than risk capture, Batman informs Superman that should he attempt to touch him, a force will trigger a bomb and kill an innocent person somewhere in Gotham. The two are forced to work together and eventually capture Magpie at her museum hideout. Afterwards, Batman reveals to Superman that the endangered person was himself. The bomb was in his utility belt. Superman departs, cautioning Batman against crossing any further lines. Batman admits to himself, um, out of respect for Superman's innate goodness, and wonders if, in a different reality, they could have been friends. Uh, I know that synopsis is short, but succinct. Let's grab that off the wiki. And it's succinct. It's, it's yeah. This is a pretty simple story. I mean, um, and apparently, this is a reimagining of. Their first meeting, which was in Superman number 26, or excuse me, 76, from I think 1952. And also, uh, World's Finest, I don't have that written down, but there was a World's Finest in 58 that kind of told their first telling, or their first meeting. I know the first one has them on a on, on a pleasure boat, and they're constantly having to switch back and forth to protect each other's identities. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, well, so I, I think maybe I had mentioned uh, off air that this was my least favorite out of the three. And the main main reason for it was, one, 
We know that uh, Kal-El is, is very intelligent. And depending on the writer, right, he's more or less, you know, on the, somewhere on like a potentially like a genius level. So you're telling me that he did no research into what Batman's doing and who he's putting away and the criminals that he's dealing with and, you know, the good that he's bringing to Gotham. He just straight up, like, just opened up, you know, uh, Gotham PD's most wanted and went, oh, I'm going to go get this guy. Well, this looks like, again, this is early on in their, in both their careers. Um, And the thing that we're supposed to understand is that Superman was the first. So Batman had to have started after Superman. Superman's only been operating for several months at this point. But he says, I think it's nine months, yeah. I think, since. And, um, so, yeah. And so. But I, I, I just can't see Superman going there and saying, oh, I'm just going to haul you off to jail. I'm not even going to talk to you. That, that's the part I didn't, I didn't get. Plus, I hated the whole shield radiation thing, whatever he, the microwaves around him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just can't, falls can't. into that falls into <laughs> Batman always being prepared for everything. No, I know, but that 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 part is just hokey, you know. And Superman should have seen right through that. Like, okay, this guy doesn't kill, you know. So why would he suddenly be doing this now? The highlight for me was we got to see my favorite kind of Batman, which is he's got his little. Uh, um, what does he call it here? Is it Bat Lab? Yeah, his little crime lab. I have a portable crime lab here in the trunk of my automobile. It's not even a Batmobile yet. It's just an automobile. One of the most advanced such labs in the state. That's yeah, just a speaking Santa tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like the detective side of Batman. And I've been saying for years in the modern Batman comics, there's not enough of that. Hey, forget that. I, I agree. I think they forget that he's the world's greatest detective. Yeah. Right. And it's, it involves a lot of science. You know, he he does things like this, right, where he's got this teeny tiny little piece of fiber um, and he analyzes it. And he, then he uses his, you know, detective skills to deduce that, OK, she can only be in this one place based on that. That's Batman to me. Well, the the. And I, maybe we covered this. We did our, our cover, Brian. But you know, it opens with Batman chasing uh, Bull. He's like a thug, yeah. uh, and he's trying to find out where Magpie is because this guy works for her, and he's more afraid of Magpie than he is Batman. But there's dialogue in here that Batman's saying, "I'm basically I'm gonna cripple you. You know, you're not gonna like walking around in crutches for a while." So that seems not just. And maybe this is because this is an early Batman, but he seems to be. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to punch people and knock them out so the cops can get them. But he's basically saying, I'm going to cripple you if you don't give him the information that I need. And that seems a little bit across the line there. But well, we know don't know that. what he, if that was, the, you know, I, I kind of debated that, too. when I read that portion, like to me, he was just and he even mentions that, you know, he, he does that because he full, you know, is, is uh, athletic. Right. And he knows that if he threatens him with that, you know, he'll he'll be having to hobble around on crutches, and that you know that might be more scary to him. Right. And if that's if it's all a threat, if it's just a smokescreen to, to to frighten these crooks, and that's one thing. But I, I couldn't tell if he was if he would follow through it, on this, and maybe that's uh, part of the spiel. I think you know, like right. You know, it's the whole idea. Of, I'm gonna break your legs. Well, it's not, you know, we're not talking like the the Republic serials or the Adam West versions, but, you know, Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, 
even the 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 one trailer they put out for Robert Pattinson's Batman, they're all brutal. I mean, Michael Keaton outright kills the villains. Christian Bale was the one that was beating him to a pulp. And Robert Pattinson's in the one thug you see him, he hits him like 10 times just to make an example of him in front of the other guys to scare everyone. This is early in his yeah. career, so he's going to have to break a few legs. Well, any any superhero, even Superman, is, is knocking people out. And that's you know that causes head trauma. It causes concussions. You know, there's some, <laughs> some serious... <laughs> Replications for that, you know. Uh, you could totally I, do this page in Bale's voice, by the way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll do a lot worse than that, Bull. <laughs> I'll hurt you and you'll stay hurt. <laughs> I, I don't never understand why Batman didn't well, just develop, I mean, a, a stun gun. You know, instead of beating him up, just stun him. And that way you can tie him up or stun him until the cops show up. Why knock him into consciousness? I mean, that's, that's what makes Nightwing smarter and better. Oh, does he have a stun yeah, gun? Well, no, it's t- his sticks. sticks or stun sticks. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, then, then that makes him a better person than Batman, you know. <laughs> but they, you know, they, you know, and I also am a little. I think it's a little hypocritical, Superman, because he says, "You're." I don't like vigilantes, even though I've been called one myself. Right. Well, you are a vigilante. <laughs> you are a vigilante. <laughs> I mean, until the next issue, maybe you're until the next issue. <laughs> maybe your methods aren't quite as as severe, but you're doing the same thing. You're working outside the law. You're not reading people their rights. There's no Miranda when Superman catches you. Um, not everybody believes so, in you. It's like, go get, go. I'm yeah. gonna go get my hat. First round's on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to ask this because I wasn't reading pre-crisis. They said that the Superman Batman relationship was kind of was starting to get a little strained. At I guess before they it decided ended. to reboot everything, it ended in the last Is issue of World's Finest. Um, a scene much similar to what happened in that Action Comics annual that that Byrne wrote. Uh, happened in uh, in the world's finest, where basically a vampire uh, was about to feast on Superman, and Batman comes in and saves him. And he goes, "Look, you're the most powerful man in the universe or the galaxy or whatever, and the rest of us are just ants beneath you. You need to be more careful. I can't be your savior every freaking time. Be more careful." <laughs> and he walked away, and that was the last of it. That was the last of the relations between Superman and Batman before Dark Knight Returns came out, before Man of Steel, before all that. So that was basically the end of their friendship. When only just several well, issues before, they proclaimed, uh, you know, unspoken love for each other, which went, you know, in that other direction. Maybe their love burned too hot. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, that has persisted, I think, that... that the kind of antagonistic relationship has lasted, I think, even to come to, I don't know, I'm not reading comics now, but that is lasted. There's a Batman-Superman series out there that's been running since 2000. And, I mean, this is where they made the the, the animated yeah, movies. Well, that ended, that ended, and then had another, yeah. you know, there, there, there was that series, there was the Trinity, right, which was the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Trinity comic, and then they, they've had another Batman, Superman uh, comic that's currently running. But they're begrudging friends for right. the most part. Well, it, it all it all falls down, down to that they don't quite... Superman doesn't like Batman's, I guess. They're not super friends. They're not best buds. They're just, <laughs> they are not super They friends. just see the necessity in in working together. Yeah, Batman they're... Wants I, Batman they're wants to know if he can bleed. <laughs> Do you bleed? Um... Yeah, they're just they're they're the, they they're 
goals are the same, but the way that they get there is different. Right. right. And what? you know, I mean, they really are the opposite sides of the coin, right? Superman is is all about light and hope, and right, you know, justice, apple pie. Whereas Batman, right, operates in the you know at nighttime. You know, doesn't they're de- doesn't they're definitely, doesn't have a lot of hope. Definitely, one of them's half full, one of them's half empty. So, uh, and it, Batman himself says in this, he says, cleaning up Metropolis is one thing, but cleaning up right. Gotham is different. Like, Gotham's and, more of a... Uh, and that part system. I did like in this issue, that it's, you know, the brutality of the crime in Gotham is completely different. I mean, Magpie blows that guy's head off, yeah. and the other guy says, oh no, not a happy birthday. Like, they, <laughs> this is not the first time this has happened. Well, that's, that's a... a, a a gag from an old Warner Brothers cartoon, Hummer Time, and no, not that kind yeah. of Hummer. Um, but it, it, and Ayo. yeah, and and the, that's the thing is is that when Tim and I discussed this before, I said Superman was indirectly responsible for uh, Bull's death in the fact that he you know basically stopped Batman from catching up to him, and that basically led to Magpie killing him. And Tim just kind of played. Yeah, you know, Tim didn't feel like that was it was necessarily Superman's fault that it happened. But I don't know. What do y'all think, John? John? Yeah, you've been quiet. Well, I've been catching up with you. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that it's super. I don't know that you could blame it on Superman, but I mean, how would anyone know that she happen. was going to kill him? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's no, there's no. You have no proof that he would have caught. Uh, he would have caught up to Bull. He's Batman. Yeah, he would have caught him. Batman. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, but he was taken out with a face full of garbage. Come on, he's Batman. Um, <laughs> That's like the old sand in your eyes thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you know that really shouldn't have worked based on how we, well, how a mod, the modern Batman uh, costume is, right? Because those are lenses on the front, and they have all kinds of almost like predator-like abilities. Or Iron Man. And then he has Man. that. Yeah, and then you know, it was answered in I think one of the issues, maybe we covered it that. Even though his his lower half of his face is exposed, it's really not exposed. There's like a little like a little shield there. So, really? Yeah. Now, one uh-huh. thing I, I go back to page thirteen here, or is it no fifteen? I'm sorry. Um, no, sir. I'm sorry. It is thirteen. Golly, that that lettering's done bad. But um, so a couple things of, of note here. Uh, in one of the copies I'm looking at, Batman is like just multicolored blue shades instead of the dark blue and then gray on the costume with the bat symbol. It looks like they miscolored him in the trade paperback. Um, no, his costume does alternate between the but, the darker blue and lighter blue. Yeah, yeah. but no, his chin, his face is actually blue. I'll have to get a picture of that huh? and share it with you. Uh, yeah. In one right. of the copies I have, in the top left corner of page 13, Batman's uh, jaw around his mouth is all blue. Uh, and then his costume is blue. Uh, the the cape is blue, but the costume is a different blue, like a lighter shade of blue. It was miscolored. <laughs> but my best, my yeah, favorite, my favorite part of this whole page though is the middle panel where you can see Batman pressing something on his utility belt to pop out the line for Superman to grab to carry Batman along. You see that where he? he, he oh, oh, yeah. He's he's touching something on his on his belt. <laughs> Popping out that, popping out that bat. <laughs> I just like that little, that Is little that detail. Uh, but th- that's a cool yes. little detail. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And then I will say the way Burn has done, or maybe it's the anchor, 
But the way they've done Batman's uh, cape, it looks very, very uh, Bill Finger or uh, Bob yes. Kane. The way he's kind of done the uh, scallop uh, mm-hmm. uh, shading. I that, that's kind of cool. That would be Bob Kane or Dick Sprang, really. Bill Finger was a writer. I thought he drew too. He just wrote? Okay. Then it then did Bob Kang or Yeah, Dick Sprang. Now my favorite panel of course is the one on page fifteen where Superman has just burst through the wall and then stopped to stand right, right there. <laughs> I like the Kool Aid man. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of odd, you know, it's like, Oh yeah and then he just But the pose is really just, cool. It is. It is. Well, that worked for the one guy because he says, are you kidding? This guy just crushed through a stone wall. I'm out of here. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Another guy's like, no, I'm going to shoot him with this little 9 millimeter. I'm sure that's going to take him out. Yeah, I do love the... Obviously, they haven't read the uh, the Metropolis or the Daily Planet uh, stories about him. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the, the coloring on the bottom panel of the Batman sitting there holding the one thug. Because, I mean... The the idea, of course, is that the costumes should be all black and gray. But when they do comic book highlights, they typically like to use blue, which is why Superman's hair is blue and hair is blue and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, but you know, Batman looking almost all black here. They did a better job of that, I think, in Legends, which came out around the same time. I am surprised, you know, and this is another reason I had a problem with this issue. You know, if if this version of Superman is is such the good boy, how is he not horrified? at what is like smoldering brain pieces <laughs> on the ground there. Yeah. You would you would think there'd be some acknowledgement of like, I mean, he says that, uh, and you've just added the last statistic to your body count, but that to me is like very flippant versus like, oh my God, she blew this guy's head off. Mm-hmm. And there's parts of him everywhere. Yeah, that's, that's a good question too. If you go to page 14 and you look at the top panel where she's laughing next to Bull's corpse, yeah, smoldering pieces of brain. Yeah, smoldering pieces of brain, but it's pink, right? Like pink colored. Not on his legs, though. But yeah, like yeah, on his legs, it looks yeah, like red patches. Red. In the trade, it's uh, orangey green. They uh, changed the color, I guess, to match code because the red wouldn't pass Comic Code Authority. It's red in the hardcover. It's definitely blood. So yeah, yeah that was but... another issue I, I had with this. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. What do you, I was just say? What do you guys think of Magpie as a villain? Yeah. Stupid. Yeah, I don't really. I think I mean, I'm sure I probably did for. Burn had plans for the Joker because uh, he was going to use him in issue nine, and he, basically he was like, he was kind of upset already at this point because as he was sitting there going, you know, going through his editors were letting other writers use Superman villains willy nilly, and he would sit there and ask, well, can we use this villain? And they'd say, no, no, the editor's got plans for them. And so he just decided to keep, he was going to be able to use Joker. So he decided to go ahead and create a brand new one for this book here, just to accentuate the idea of what Batman's world is like. That, yeah, that she's Joker light. All the villains, even the everyday ones are all still psychotic, crazy, weird costume that nobody would wear in public, except maybe at a con. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, the design is terrible. You know, the fact that it's, you know, the wig is ridiculous. Glasses are awful. Uh, yeah, the whole thing. Well, she's all her motivation so that, you know, yeah. she was bullied and that's why she <laughs> yeah. wanted to, she wanted all these right. little pretty Shiny things, pretty you know, things. and uh, <laughs> things, you know, and um, I do like Superman sucking in all the acid gas. Yes. Uh, but then we get uh, a typical burn whole page explaining what I did with it, 
how it I, why I flew it up here, how it changed, it's now it's safe. It's like no, he just blew it into space. We don't need to, you know. He, he loves explaining. And yet he couldn't explain how Magpie got away from Batman yeah. in the time Superman went and did that. Though once again, I got to say, I really like that odd computerized effect that Byrne used for him blowing out yeah. the gas and having it crystallized in space. That's cool. But the Davis point, the the the, the detective part is cool. Mm-hmm. And that's something mm-hmm. that you that they they really seem to have lost. Uh, when you're dealing with Batman, that he is that is, he he probably solves more with his brain than with his fists. But they just want him punching guys and you know driving fast cars. Yeah, and then you know, I as a kid, you know, reading the the '80s, uh, mid mid '80s and up, you know, Batman stories, that was a, a big part of it. You know, was yes, he could, he, you know, he would throw down and get in huge fights and all that stuff, but. It was the detective work, the scientific knowledge that he had that led him, you know, to solving, you know, the crimes or where the villain was, you know. And I always, I like that, that balance within Batman. This is why Byrne would never do Batman as a regular series is that he just doesn't feel like he could write a detective that well. Uh, that, that thing that hmm. happened to him rather recently when Chris Rael gave him the opportunity to uh, do Dick Tracy for IDW. And he really started to seriously think about it. Then he realized, you know, he did some sketches and everything and then realized, but wait, I'd still be doing a detective. I just don't want to do that kind of stuff. He just couldn't see a way of creating detective stories month after month. Uh, I could see that, but it'd be interesting to see a John Byrne version of Dick Tracy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you can see their sketches out on his website for it, and they, they look really, really good. I mean, very faithful to the original original stuff so pretty yeah. cool i think he needs to do indiana jones i think do that for idw or do it for yeah. marvel or somebody but that would be a cool that but that was such a bad taste in his mouth have it have well, it rewrite, can... redraw rewrite redraw because they kept making changes mm-hmm. all the way up to till they went to press page 21 the bottom panel the you know superman in silhouette saying now about the manner of the life that you placed in jeopardy i just love that panel because it's so simple. I mean, as an artist, it doesn't take a whole lot to draw that, but it just says so much. Mm-hmm. So the, the silhouette of Superman and then the look on Batman's eyes. Like, here we go. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be funny if when Batman takes the bomb out, he forgot to turn the shield off and hands it to Superman and it goes off? <laughs> it's full of kryptonite shards. That's right. <laughs> ah, you killed me. Why would you do that? I trusted you. And, of course, the last line being from uh, Balance of Terror, uh, a, a uh, paraphrase of Balance of Terror. Who knows, in a different reality, I might have called him friend. Well, I, I, well it, it could be that. I think it's more of a, a, a nod to pre-crisis. Well, it, it is, but it is. It, super friends. I mean, Byrne being the, the Star Trek fan he has, I mean, he has OCD on Star Trek. There, there's no doubt in my mind that this was not just a callback, you know, a, a, a nod to the other realities, but to uh, to Star Trek as well. Yeah, I have been, de- and I always will be your friend. Doesn't <laughs> unless, unless our continuity gets rebooted, and then I will not be your friend at least for a little while, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be your friend again until they reboot the next one. Yeah, when yeah. he meets up with, uh, and I think it's in Superman proper when he meets up with Batman again. At this point, he's got Robin. And I think at the, in that story, Superman is kind of a little 
dismissive of why you're why you've taken this young kid to run around the rooftops with you. So I think he's still not. Why not? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Everyone wants to run on the rooftops with a young boy. <laughs> That's perfectly normal. Why are you questioning it? What's with those pixie boots? Yeah. And those little shorts. <laughs> okay. And I'm glad that even though they didn't restore the, the friendship with on this, because I kind of like that partnership, uh, they at least parted on a, a ground of mutual respect or at least mutual acceptance. So, um, yeah, I, I think they can respect each other and not necessarily like each other. Um, and so my wife or be old chums. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, the thing is, there was someone had made a comment about the Dark Knight Returns, and that there was a, a moment in there in the first one where, uh, you know, Batman's checking his messages, and there's a message from Clark: "I'm going to be out of town for a while, way out of town." And someone was asking, "Why would you know they do that? I mean, they're not friend, they're they're not friends. Why would he do that?" And I'd say it's kind of like, uh, "Hey, I'm going to be out for a while. Mind the store." And that with the kind of relationship that they establish here, that they would still, that's something that would carry along. Even, you know, they're not friends, but they do recognize each other is a valuable asset and can be helpful. Isn't there a story where they switch cities, or is that Supergirl and Batgirl? <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking it was, it was a Lego Batman episode. <laughs> <laughs> Remember and then the Joker tricks, tricks uh, Superman? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Basically, everything goes wrong. Right. So, well, so that wraps up the first three issues. Excellent. Yeah, I, th- I think it's off to a, a good start. I know, Dave, you said this was probably your least favorite. It's probably my least favorite uh, of the three, but it's not a bad issue. I just think it's just no. I'm not. I'm not crazy about the way they do. Uh, and Superman is drawn a little more, a little written a little more naive in this. Um, yeah, I think it's the combination of you got Magpie, who's already a weak villain. Oh yes, um, you know, like D-list villain. You know, you've got Batman with the weird, you know, microwave. Don't touch me, or somebody's going to blow up, which is so out of character for him. Um, yeah, it just and, and and of course, I already uh, ranted about the you know. So Clark didn't do any kind of research into Batman. He just you know. I guess if you listen to the or you watch the DC movies, they're just right across the river. So I guess he just flew across the river and was going to go pick him up. Well, I just said I don't know in this in this reality are they how close are they to each other? Are they twin cities like St. Paul right. and uh, Minneapolis? I, I think they're supposed um, to be a good. Dis- I mean, the thing is, you you can't look at Gotham as New York. Um, you'd have to look at it as more like you know Jersey. I think Gotham has always been to be like Chicago and Metropolis yeah. is New York. And they're mm-hmm. that kind of distance from each other. Yeah, that see that would make sense, but still both would be East Coast because uh, they, they yeah. have they have the 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 Atlantic right there. They've always had that. But uh, you know they should re- they should rewrite this issue. And in, <laughs> number three is when Lois yeets herself off the pier, <laughs> and he's in Gotham, and she just dies. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That was dark. That was I channeled really, Frank Miller. That was really dark. I channeled yeah. Frank Miller for a minute. There you go. Yeah. Maybe you should be driving off piers. Yeah. And out of other details that I really liked in this, and it's, I pointed it out before, but I just love the fact that they give um, Bull the cauliflower ear like an MMA fighter or a grappler or a wrestler would have. Uh, he's been a, beat yeah, on he's so a, much. Yeah. He's a street tough. He's been... Uh, All right. 
Well, does anybody have any last thoughts or uh, concerns or, or you know anything else to say about what we've covered today? All no. three issues. I mean, it, it, no, I mean, you know, without Kirk, we didn't have any real like. Ah. <laughs> Not that we'd have any fighting or arguing with Kirk. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to revisiting four, five, and six. So am I. Um, you know, like I said, I've I've had the the volume one. In fact, I'm so far behind. I've got volume two and three, and I think there's one more, and then that'll complete Burns' run on Superman. I'll have it all in the nice hard hardcover collection. Um, it's been a long time since I've read these issues, so you know, going back to them, and I think we've talked about it before. You know, you've got different perspective on things you know when you've read it you know as a young person and kind of you know, like in your 20s or now in your 40s or 50s you know you, you just come come to the table with a different set um you know of eyes well one thing i'd, I'd well, like to say to anybody that that's oh. reading this now mm-hmm. is that if you haven't noticed this go back go through every page of this issue and look at all of batman's shadows and you'll notice that super that, that uh, Burn is doing um, some you know tricky things with with Batman Shadow all throughout the book, and I've, I I found that really really interesting. Tim and I had pointed out a couple back then, but um, when we when when we did it or- originally, but uh, it's 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 pretty cool what he does here and there. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm seeing those now. Well, I, I think it's also Dave, your point about reading him then and now is. When this came out, we the only iteration of Superman we had, I mean, if you don't count the TV show and the early serials, were the four. Well, actually, Superman 4 hadn't come out yet. It comes out next year. Mm-hmm. So you've had three Superman movies with Reeves. Now you've got how many iterations? We've got right. those movies. We've got the Man of Steel movies. We've got TV shows, several TV shows. So since we can see now that you've got more takes on it to read this. I still think it kind of set, and it did, I think it set the standard for Superman for, what, to about 2003 when they did Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis or when they kind of read Burns? It looked like 2006. Uh, six? Okay. Yeah. It's pretty straight. So 20 he, he was in there for a good And, and they yeah, brought that back, so. too. They brought back that this yeah. Superman back. So, you know, he's, isn't he still part of the who he is now? Or did uh, Bendis' yeah. Is, yeah. No, 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 no. So you, you basically had the same Superman up to Flashpoint, which then led into the New 52, which was the the complete reboot and everybody starting over again. That Superman from the New 52, at the end of the, the New 52 run, um, we find out that the post-crisis Superman was still out there. And so when they met, they merged um, together, so it kind of took the best of the new 52 Superman stories, and then they could cherry pick from the post-crisis uh, Superman stories and kind of merge them together. That's the Superman that you have now. So he's older um, and married. Is this the one he's got the kids. Kid he's married has two yeah, kids. Yeah. Oh, I thought he had two sons. No, that was in the stupid TV show. Um, <laughs> Jordan. Yeah, you got Jordan. Uh, he's just got Jonathan Kent, and that's a whole deal. Or does a Batman have a kid? So they're like the super super tweens or something. Super sons. Super sons. <laughs> super sons. Yeah, Damian Wayne. Wow. Well, I think uh, a quick question before we wrap up: uh, Has anybody seen the latest What If? Yes. Yes. Zombie one. Everybody's seen it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
without spoiling anything, what'd you guys think of it? Um, this that I think all the what ifs have been really good. I, th- I think the this, the the first two what ifs were um, okay and fun, enjoyable, but they didn't really feel like the great what ifs that I read, you know, in younger days. The third and fourth I one. I think they're missing the point of what. Yeah, if. I know, but the third and fourth what ifs uh, really just you know they grabbed my attention. They 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 really were enjoyable, but I mean, I don't know if I just have to see a dark ending of it. Yeah. Well, the, I think the third one, the Doctor Strange yeah. one, is probably the closest to our, our traditional yes. what yes. if. Uh, and the zombie one was not bad, but the tone, man, the tone kept flipping yeah, back humor, and forth. Humor right. and horror, humor and horror. <laughs> yeah, back and forth, back and forth. Well, it, let's stick with it's, one. It, it, it's like an action movie, you know, it's just don't yeah. think about it too hard. Just watch it, enjoy it, uh, and just uh, let it fly out. Well, I like a good zombie <laughs> you know, thing as much away. as anyone else, but I'd kind of burned out on on all the the TV stuff, Walking Dead and and whatnot. But uh, this one was was funny, especially what they did with Ant Man. Just <laughs> that that's part of the tone shift yeah. with Ant. <laughs> that's uh, a little weird, but um... yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan of the whole zombie. Marvel zombie thing, but I thought the story was. I mean, I thought they did a good job with the content that they were working especially with, and the fact that the cinematic Spider-Man. universes. So it was well written in that. Um, I thought. Yes. Yeah, so you know, I, I I enjoyed it as part of the series. It's fine. I don't need to have the dark ending that you think it needs to be growing, but I, you know, it um, just didn't I, didn't feel right with all the the happy go lucky um, feels. Well, you must have missed the very last scene. So, um, but uh, you know, not to spoil anything. Yeah, it, it doesn't end on a happy. It does not. I'm not talking yeah. about the last two, but the first two, they both ended pretty decent notes, didn't they? I mean, maybe not well, yeah, Peggy yeah. Carter because traditional she did, what ifs she did. did have decent notes. I mean, look at what if the Fantastic Four had different powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that ended up with them moving on, and so I mean, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, a lot of what ifs would it would either have a dark ending or it would things ended up the way they were supposed to, just in a different right. way. It, it's yeah. the thing is the dark so, ending ones were the most memorable, and I think that's why they stood out to me. Why those are what I'm kind of expecting here. So yeah, I, I'm I'm not saying that that what they've done with the first couple ones was wrong. I'm just saying that I feel more at home with the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. just just so you know, uh, Marvel, of course, getting synergy. They just published uh, "What If uh, Omnibus Volume One" hmm, cool. last last week or two weeks ago, and I got let me grab my copy right here. Ooh. Wasn't that uh, the shorter run? Didn't the second yeah. volume run longer? Yeah. So the, the first Omnibus collects uh, "What If." Uh, the 1977 series 1 through 15 and 17 through 22. You know what? I was going to look up. Why didn't they include 16? Isn't that the Conan issue? Maybe they couldn't get the... Uh... Right. No, because they're pu- they're publishing Conan books right now. Let me see what that is. You guys vamp. No, what if 16? Has anybody seen the Kenobi trailer? No. Oh. Yeah, so oh, it's yes. um, Shang-Chi, but you'd think they'd be able to get that in there, but I saw it on. Oh, it, that's what it is. What if Shang Chi, Master oh, of Kung Fu, Fu, fought on the side of Fu Manchu? Yep, that's why they don't have Fu Manchu anymore. They don't have Fu Manchu. Um, 
They have no Manchu. <laughs> now, so yeah, so to to Brian to what Brian's talking about, if you're interested, um, they have a nice collection uh, that just came out, and it includes like the big ones. You know, what if Jane Foster had found the hammer of Thor? Uh, what if Conan was in the present day? <laughs> That's such a good one. What if Spidey joined the FF? Yep. Uh, yeah, what if the Hulk had Banner's brain? Yeah. What if the Invaders? What if three, which was very similar to the TV series? What if three? What if the Avengers had never been? Oh, I forgot about mm. that one. That was no, that one I enjoyed also. Yeah. It's it's a, a darn good. I, I mean, it's a good series, you know. Especially with being animated, it gives them the ability to do things that they they uh, not necessarily could do or do easily in just a regular movie, you know, they, or TV series. It would have to you know ramp up the the budget. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you know the way that they're doing it, it, it uh, it's pretty cool. And of course, uh, all this stuff has the last performances of Chadwick Boseman all the way up to the ninth episode. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to see a little bit more of him. And Tim, I got to ask you what you're talking about when you say Kenobi trailer. I can't find one out there. I saw it on YouTube yesterday. It's uh, I don't. It's not a fake trailer. It's actually got you and McGregor in it. So I think it's a legit trailer. It's for the the new Disney Plus TV show called Kenobi: A Star Wars Story. I think that's what it's called. Looks pretty good. I mean, I you know, but I don't know if they're going to change things or how they're going to do it. But it's a lot of you and McGregor walking the desert. See, I see. Is he combing? Is he combing the desert with big combs? <laughs> hmm. I don't know because that looks like that was put out ten months ago. So I don't know if that's. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how old it is, but uh, it's first I'd seen anything about his show. Yeah. Now, of course, the Matrix Resurrections trailer came out this week as well. Yep. So that I'm just. I kind of understand what Lana Wachowski is trying to do, but. You know, she completely flipped the Matrix aesthetic, but again, it works with what we saw in the very, very last scene of Matrix Revolutions. So, as all the black leather gone, now it's just sweaty rays. Well, it, I mean, <laughs> it, the the if you remember, you know, the because the Matrix was what it was, it kind of had that light green hue to everything. It made everything else look a little washed out. Um, and you know, as you went from that to the real world sections, the, 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 the color and feel of everything changed. And what we're seeing now is that in, in the matrix, it's full color. It's everything seems vibrant. There doesn't seem to be an aesthetic or feel about it that you could see that, that, that carried over from the matrix itself. And of course, Keanu basically looks like John Wick. Because he's got the same hairstyle and he's got the beard, same the beard ear and, and, and all that. So what, I, I don't really understand. I watched the trailer and I was like, okay, so how is this even happening? Because okay. didn't they take out all the machines? Well, no, they didn't. See, at the end of the Matrix Revolutions, uh, the machines realized that they need to work with the humans to continue on, and specifically Neo in particular. To, to survive and to beat Agent Smith. And that's, you know, what they agreed to do. Neo's body died, but his essence is there in the Matrix. 
Oh, man, I'm going to have to go back and watch these movies again. And, yeah, it was kind of a stalemate. It was kind of a ceasefire. Yeah, basically, uh, yeah, they'll, they're will they going to continue. Anybody that realizes they're in the Matrix that wants to get out can get out. But anybody that wants to stay in can stay in. Or anybody that just wants to be blissfully unaware of what's going on, they can do that. The, the, so that's the sense that, that so that's the Keanu we find now. They've not really mind wiped him, but kind of reset him. He's basically he doesn't realize who or what he is, and he keeps taking those damn blue pills. I, I, you, you see him like taking the blue pills like they're Mike and Ike, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love Mike and Ike. This is a love story. This is him and Trinity, their avatars coming together. And would you? She still looked yeah. good. Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was in yeah, he, Daredevil they, and they shake others. They shake hands yeah. and she goes, oh. "Do I know you? Have, or have we met before?" She's got a better haircut. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't like that slick back look she has. <laughs> slick back look. Uh, the, the band is playing <laughs> us off stage, so. <laughs> All right. Well, who wants to tell everybody where up. they can find us? Well, I'm in Las Vegas. No, no. You're in Texas. Actually, how they can write to us, how they can comment to us, how they can tell us what they think. Okay, I'll go ahead and do it. <laughs> We'd like to know what you guys think. Uh, uh, you know, number one, about our Man of Steel coverage here, uh, what things you might like us to cover in the future. Uh, also, do you like this group format that we're doing right now? Where we're covering multiple books. Um, you know, because there are other things, other series that we might uh, look at. Maybe we'll do Doomsday Plus One, or, or you know, some other series. Uh, maybe do an Alpha Flight retrospective, multiple, uh, where we could sit there and cover different groups over a different period of time. Do you like it, or would you like us to go back to the single book format? Um, you know, that or any other thoughts, opinions that you might have, write to us uh, either at our email account that's uh, got to get burned at gmail dot com. Or you can leave us a note on our Facebook page uh, there as we you know post each episode. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you like. Also, you could write to us, uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. We'd really, really love to hear you. And if you put a good review there, that opens up exposure for other people to find us. It just uh, helps other people to see us that are looking for a good podcast to listen to. Yeah. And we are slowly, and I slacked off a little bit but i'm slowly getting the uh, old issue uh, episodes the links corrected so they'll pop up mm-hmm. i've seen on right itunes there. yeah and i need to get back to that just not it's not hard work it's just tedious but. do we want to read uh, some email oh yeah yeah one. we've got some what was the last one we read i know it was a rick sheffield one but i don't remember which one i think that the two we have in there and i tagged them there's two from nigel spank yeah. um and I don't think we've read his his Elswin, and he's got the newest one in there for Champions. Okay, so so we did read his Days of Future Past one then, right? I believe you read that okay. one. We haven't read his Elswin, which was from... Okay, I'll cover the Elswin one here. July. <clears throat> <clears throat> All right. Dear, uh, we'll, we'll just do this one because it's, it's kind of long, and the next one gets kind of long, so we'll cover them yeah. on the next episode. <clears throat> Dear Tim, Brian, Kirk, and John. I guess David wasn't on that day. What the heck? <laughs> nice to hear you reviewing some of John Byrne's latest current work as you revisit Elswin. Actually, it was thanks to finding the Third Degree Burn podcast I was made aware of Elswin's continuity. This right here makes me feel so good. I mean, you know, from the moment that we saw that Byrne was doing this stuff, I think we were, I was, you know, 
beat, beating the drums, playing the horns, trying to get anybody that could to notice that he's doing this stuff. And still, there are a lot of people out there in the comic book world that have no clue whatsoever that John Byrne is doing elsewhere. So uh, it makes me feel good that uh, that someone you know saw that as a result of listening to us. Moving on, though. Uh, Nigel, or Rick Sheffield is his name, says... Um, I had seen and read the first Byrne story, uh, the first story Byrne had drawn, where the X-Men traveled to the Savage Land yet again and encountered Sauron, AIM and MODOK. What I didn't realize until I started listening to your podcast was that Byrne had continued to draw more and more episodes and was already up to about episode 14. This was great, as I suddenly had new Byrne material to read and enjoy. He did not disappoint, and the pencils were fabulous, as were the new stories. I finally caught up around episode 17, but that meant a shift from an episode or two a day to a page a day, and then only five days a week. Suddenly, the pace of the stories really slowed down. I tried to wait and collect several days' worth to read all at once, but I just can't do it. Boy, Rick, I feel your pain there. I'm the same way. I have to go look every day to see what he's doing. <clears throat> Moving on. So, Nightcrawler finally finds his way home rather quickly, I thought, too. Literally from one panel to the next, he is instantly at, uh, attacked by Archangel with that shook-shook sword, as if he hadn't already suffered enough. Yeah, that sword generated much uh, discussion as to how it might work. At first, I thought it was similar to Black Knight's Neuro Sword, which he used in the Avengers run from issues 344 to 375. But as you pointed out, it looks solid which would suggest it could inflict physical wounds also, although this does not seem to be the case. Nice to see the Watcher watching. And I like the way he he was used to bring Angel and Iceman into the story with a tip of the hat to the Champions connection Byrne was also involved in. I'm beginning to worry about Kitty's fate as the Shire attempt to unmerge her from Astra. As I read through these two uh, episodes, there seemed to be a lot of things that happened but yet the story was not moving along, almost as if Byrne was beginning to not be sure where he was taking some of this. As for the squirrel interlude and the sudden burst of energy recorded by the Shire, I believe the two are connected, and we could indeed be seeing the coming of Dark Squirrel Phoenix. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> artwork continues that's a lot of lines. <laughs> artwork continues to be fabulous and I enjoy the ongoing saga even if it seems to be dragging a little bit at the moment Rick Sheffield thank you Rick for writing that and uh, you know, in yes. the next episode we will read your uh, uh, latest email about our champions coverage uh, that, that yeah that is really cool and as far as the whole Dark Squirrel Phoenix goes there's been some talk going back and forth that's not necessarily Phoenix but Proteus, in the way it keeps consuming bodies. And we see that with it going to a bear. That would be cool. If it was Proteus, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah I'm just wondering how Proteus would get over there from Scotland, that, though. Yeah, that is the other thing, because Proteus was on the other side of the pond. So, more likely, this is Phoenix just continuing to move up the food chain till it... And, yeah, Proteus was actually, well, supposedly, I think, destroyed. But, so, I guess he could come back. You never know. <laughs> that was until he, he merged with Gary Mitchell when the X-Men met the, the crew of the Enterprise. So, oh, there you go. <laughs> so there's, there's definitely been a lot of um, discussion going back and forth on a lot of the Facebook pages about Elswin 
And you know, yep. even even Rick here comments about how the stories aren't moving forward, even though we're getting a lot of little bit of things. And I think that what we're getting right now is Bernard had to do a lot of shuffling of pages around when he brought in the Magneto storyline with the alt X-Men and such. Um, and he moved plot lines around. So right now he's only two issues ahead instead of his typical four to five issues ahead that he prefers to be in a normal production environment. So I, I think that, you know, he's put some things in there to kind of slow things down so he can get the stories back to his normal flow. But and, and I, the way that this current issue is going, it seems to have a better flow to it. And this week, and if you don't want to hear a splutter, close your ear holes right now. We saw the beginnings of an Alpha Flight crossover. What? No shock? No, no, no jaws hitting the floor? No have you have, dun, dun, dun. have you guys been reading it day to day or yes <laughs> I don't read it day to day I wait till it all comes out that I okay and see I just spoiled that for or did you cover up your <laughs> ear hole oh I'd seen I'd seen uh, so I think somebody posted a, a pic that's not a big spoiler somebody posted a picture of it I think yeah but, we knew it was coming oh, yeah it looks like I and I thought they had stopped it but it looks like people are still getting this stuff collected and, and bound and printed. Because it looks like people are still posting. Yeah, just that one place that you can it. go to that, that you used to be able to go to online to do it saw what was going on and, and it again. they stopped. But there are, apparently are That's other places that you can go to. I mean, there are printers all over the country that you can go to to get stuff printed. Yeah. And yeah. as long as you're yeah. not like printing six thousand of them with the intention of selling them, it's not a problem. If you're going to get like one or you know a couple put together for yourself, that's that's cool. It's when people are trying to sell the stuff that it becomes an issue. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a problem. And it's not it's not necessarily burn that would come after you. Marvel can come after you yep. for that. Disney. Yeah, oh, Disney. You Disney, don't want Disney's those guys coming they'll just after land, you. They'll just land airplanes yeah. full of lawyers. Yeah. They'll just, they'll just, uh, well, they'll, it'll be like a Blackhawk. They'll just come down and sit lines and just. It's illegal. <laughs> You'll disappear. Illegal. Serve you with papers. No, illegal smart bomb. Right. <laughs> You'll disappear and you'll be riding through It's a Small World for Eternity over yeah. and over and over again. John, are you saying you're just going to open the door and start to fade away and say, I, I don't feel so good? <laughs> I hear it's better to burn out. Uh, <sighs> hold me, Mr. Stark. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, Woo. Good smooth stuff. transition. Good coverage. Good yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with the, the next couple issues, though we might do something in between. We're not sure. We'll let you know. So, for Third Degree Burn, try to get Kirk I'm out. Brian Hughes. Say goodnight, Tim. Goodnight, Tim. Say goodnight, David. Goodnight, David. Say goodnight, John. Goodnight, Tom. But you could say your whole name Boy. if you guys want to. Let's have a moment of silence for Kirk. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Kirk had to work today. Uh, they they pulled him in the office in the last minute. Oh, sorry, that weather's not going to report itself. Yep, that's true. Well, actually, it does every day. Anyway, thank you for listening, y'all. Take care. Have a great week. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. 
follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs>